do it again. Uh, we'll talk about it again. Thanks for being on with me, and, and I know you're going to have great success live. with it. And you're a blessing, and may the Father bless you for what you're doing in Yeshua's name. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. All right, thank you. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that's decodingthefuture.com. The reason that I that I like this so much, folks, is because why it does give it from the, the, the point of view of the Jews, people say, well, he's going to be pre-trib or post-trib or whatever. He, they do give the different perspectives, and they're not telling you just to take shove one thing down your throat and say this is the way it is. And sorry for the harsh language, but they don't. And so this is the first series that I saw that I would actually – take and uh, uh, use it as a teaching tool Messiah Frank. While I do uh, show other videos and things over there, I don't, uh, it's a little different when you're going with a course. So pray about it. Um, you know, I don't think it's a, a lot of money to, to buy this, but think about it. Share it with others. The point is, is we want you to get the warning out. We want more people to the kingdom. Whether you do this or you dive into your Bible, get into a Bible study group, and that should start with your family. If they're not doing it at your, your church, maybe you should home church because you need to be in Bible prophecy. You need to be in the Word. You need to be blessing Yeshua. It's not what they can, the Father can do to bless us, but we can do to bless Him by bringing more children into the kingdom. That's what we need to do. And we, how do we serve the Father? We serve him by serving others. Yeshua came as a suffering servant. We're supposed to be Christ-like. Well, Christ-like means Messianic. That's Messiah-like. And how can you be Messiah-like if you're not a servant? Look at Passover. We'll get into Passover and talk to it le- about it later, but look at Passover. He even washed the feet of the one that would betray him and to his death. Pray about supporting Wichita Mission Church and this radio program. We do need your help. You can use it tonight if you want to donate online. But remember, there is only one God. He is your Father. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His Son is Yeshua HaMashiach. And He gave His life for your repented sins. He rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And through Him, and only through Him, is the way to the Father. Lord our God, Father, King in the universe, Yahweh, I ask in Yeshua HaMashiach's name that the Father blesses and keeps you, and His face shines upon you, and is gracious to you, and gives you peace like no one or nothing else can. Until next Thursday, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. You've just heard the... You've just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the Internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Tune in next time for Messiah's Branch.
condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three www.thepowerherbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. People realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. about what 
about what they say. Good afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Monday, March 14, 2016, and it is just about seven minutes after noon Pacific time. Now, some of you out there may not be here, or you might have been wondering, hey, where is this guy? Well, remember, we had the time change, so if you didn't get on that, you're probably, uh, well, you're probably late everywhere today. Or, actually, maybe you're an hour early. I'm not sure how it works, but we did that uh, this weekend, so now here we are. Isn't that fun? Boy, is that ever good for everything to just mess with the uh, clocks? See, this is government at work, folks. They don't do this everywhere around the world. They don't even do this in every state. Yeah, this is the federal government at work. What a great idea. I know. We got nothing better to do. Let's write a law. Screw with the time. Yeah. Yeah, because it's going to help the farmers. Yes, let's cut a foot off this end of the rug and sew it onto the other end. And that'll make us have a bigger rug because that's the government way of thinking. And you wonder why these people are our enemies, folks. Everything they do is to destroy or diminish your life. Keep that in mind. The government has turned into an entity that does no good. Oh, from time to time, it might give you some goodies. Ooh, yeah, give me that welfare check. Give me that Social Security check, which is the same as a welfare check, folks. Because you know what? This whole business about you paid into it. No, you didn't. You paid your taxes. That's all you did. Just like all those people on welfare. They pay their taxes. They pay the fuel tax. They pay the income tax. They pay the sales tax. They pay all the same taxes you do. So they get a welfare check. You get a Social Security check. You know, if you think it's a trust account or some kind of savings account or some kind of anything like that, you're wrong. You're just wrong. It doesn't matter what they told you. They lied to you, okay? Again, add it to the list, all right? They lied to you. It is not any kind of fund for you. You don't actually have an account, okay? They just keep track of how much they're going to give you based on how much taxes you paid. And, of course, there's a bare minimum, which you don't have to pay any taxes. You just get to a certain uh, age, and you get this tiny little minimum amount of money, and there it is. But you didn't earn it. 
You didn't pay into it, okay? You didn't do anything anybody else didn't do because all you did was pay a supplemental income tax, just like Obamacare. You ain't earned that. You're not paying into that. You're just being taxed. The Supreme Court has said so in both cases. And like them or not, which I don't, whatever they rule is the way they operate, is the way the government operates. This is why there ain't no money in the Social Security Fund, because there is no fund. They ripped it off long ago and used it in the general fund. Now there's a bunch of IOUs, okay, which they like to say unfunded liabilities. Yeah, well, ha. Their IOU, sure, there was money there, but we decided we wanted to use that for dope. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, things, whatever. Because spending money is an addiction in Washington, D.C. They just think there's no, you know, they can, I mean, look at how they throw around, well, a billion here, a billion there, a billion this, a billion that, well, what the heck, let's spend another billion on this. Let's spend $700,000 on a helmet. Huh? Let's do that. Anyhow, and somebody says you have to work 40 quarters for 10 years. No, you don't. You don't have to work at all. All you have to do is become the age, and you'll get like 250 bucks a month. Yeah, well, granted, that ain't enough to live on, and people who do work, you know, the 40 quarters for 10 years, they get something like 1000 a month, which most of you could not live on, all right? $1,000 a month. I know most of you could not live on that. I happen to live on that now. So, heh, if I got a Social Security check for $1,000, I'd be, I'd be in fat city. What? I get this and I don't even have to work? Wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> Anyhow. All right, let's get to some things and stuff. All right. Oh yeah, here we go. This was this, see this has been sitting on here since uh, Friday. Didn't get to it, but you know a little bit of good news. Judge voids tons of Chicago traffic camera tickets overdue process concerns. Ah, uh, let's see here. Being familiar with our story roster when it comes to traffic and speed cameras, the only logical conclusion that can be reached is that these devices have almost nothing to do with driver safety and almost everything to do with bringing in revenue for local governments and with the focus being on revenue as opposed to keeping human beings from harm the mystery for all of the corruption surrounding how these camera contracts are awarded and implemented vanishes into a story of the age-old greed of the human being but to really see how spectacularly these cameras fall fail at just about everything we can askew the reports on safety and the lack of their impact for the moment and focus instead on how it's quickly becoming clear that the cameras do a crappy job at the be- at the bringing in the revenue part of the equation as well We've seen already the staggering statistics on how many refunds have been issued for tickets issued by camera systems. But now the courts are getting involved as well. An example of this can be seen in Chicago, where a judge has ruled that camera tickets spanning back over a decade are simply void 
and that the city had violated the due process rights of the citizens under its care. In a harshly worded ruling handed down late Friday, Circuit Court Judge Kathleen Kennedy kept alive a lawsuit seeking hundreds of millions of dollars in refunds for motorists ticketed since 2003 after City Hall skipped a step mandated by the city's own municipal code. The lawsuit filed nearly a year ago accused the Emanuel administration of violating the requirement to issue a second notice of violation before issuing a determination of liability against motorists issued speed camera and red light camera tickets. The suit further alleged that the city failed to specify the make of the vehicle and that the city notices indicate the late penalties will be assessed if payment is not received within 21 days of a liability determination when a 25-day grace period is required by law. I'm from and of the city, and the notion that government officials don't bother to follow their municipal codes and laws is so shocking that, <laughs> no, it isn't. My God, this happens all the time. Still, the true nature of greedy government is on display here, with the city being so blinded by cartoonish dollar signs dancing before its collective eyes that it couldn't see that the BS camera policy that it knew wasn't being used for safety reasons wouldn't even be able to pull in the revenue it wanted after legal challenges. Now, let me let me point something out here. Why it's so important that these people keep mentioning that it has nothing to do with safety. It has nothing to do with safety. It has nothing to do with safety. Okay? They keep mentioning that, and it's very important. And the reason why is because, you see, the city or state or anybody else does not have a right to go out there and screw with the traffic laws simply to make money, okay? Because if you read your state constitution, there'll be something in there, and they're worded differently from state to state, but something about uh, safety, health, safety, and uh, general order, or that. That is the preamble to most state constitution, or part of it, right? That is the general order. Those are the police powers. Now, you've heard of the police powers, right? Well, that's where they're found in, in your state. This is why the state has police powers and the federal government doesn't. Now, you might say, what? The federal government certainly seems to be uh, exercising police powers. Well, yes, they do seem to be exercising police powers, but federal Government police powers, and I'm putting those in quotes, are nothing but simulated police powers, and they are simulated mostly through the Commerce Clause. Okay? They're not real police powers. They're just simply stretching the Commerce Clause to the point where, oh, we can do anything anywhere because, uh, well, it interferes with uh, interstate commerce. Well, anyway... The fact of the matter is, the state has no authority, they have no authorization to put devices on the highway simply to make money. As a matter of fact, they only are authorized, everything they do is supposed to be able to be 
shown, demonstrated, to provide safety, health, or order. All right? And this is why, folks, it's unconstitutional. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it, there's a lot of easier ways to go after these, uh, you know, automatic light tickets. Due process is certainly one of them. You know, and, uh, hey, wait a minute, I'm allowed to uh, face my accuser? Really? How do I face a camera? Who was operating this camera? Who was the man behind it? Oh, there was no man? Sorry, then. Anyhow, uh, let's see. Kennedy ruled that the three named plaintiffs in the case had sufficiently alleged facts showing that the city's retention of payments from determinations made without a second notice violates the fundamental principles of justice, equity, and good conscience. Yeah, well, you see, they, uh, you know, they like to add words and sound like they know what they're talking about. But the bottom line is, it just, oh, look, hey, uh, safety, peace, you know, health, order. Yeah, this ain't doing any. Sorry, it's out of here. The alleged practice of accelerating late fees without statutory compliance is sufficient to show a violation of the fundamental principles of justice, equity, good conscience. The judge wrote. So, you know, there you have it. So people are winning. You know, people are winning with these, uh, you know, tickets because, well, they're bogus. All right, let's see. What else do we have? Oh, wait a minute here. I need to go over here and see what's going on. All right, so... Uh, Do you think that uh, Marco Rubio is going to get in or out of the uh, the race? Hmm. Anyway, la uh, this is somebody writing this for the New York Times. Uh, the last time I saw Marco Rubio in person, he seemed to be on the verge of inheriting the charred Republican Earth. It was February 22nd, the day before the Nevada caucuses. We were aboard Rubio's campaign plane flying from Reno to Las Vegas. Rubio's 44, but he can sometimes come off like an overgrown and hyperactive boy, jiggling his leg when he is otherwise still. He seemed to be in a sunny mood. This was a great day for us, he said, who had not yet resorted to making pee-pee jokes about Donald at the time, consensus was building among the pundit geniuses that Rubio was now the preferred alternative to Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more like wishful thinking. As Rubio crisscrossed Nevada with his, uh, you know, on uh, entourage of local dignitaries, Nevada's lieutenant governor and former governor, a congressman and senator, it seemed as if every hour brought another endorsement from another vintage piece of the Republican furniture. Orrin Hatch, Bob Dole, loser, loser, a senator from Indiana, the governor of Arkansas, criminal, criminal, the night before a rally at North Las Vegas, Rubio strode chest out onto the stage crowded with validators, 17 of them in all. 17 of them in all. <laughs> they included a casino's buffet 
of Nevada pulls uh, someone from a reality TV show called Pawn Stars and Donnie Wahlberg, once a new kid on the block, now a lapsed golden boy who is going all in for Marky Marco. Suddenly, the plane hit a pitch of nasty turbulence that started bouncing and shaking as if we were flying through a blender. Unfazed, Rubio kept delivering his lines. I'm best positioned to bring this party forward. I honestly believe the American dream is in trouble. I offer a new generation of leadership for the 21st century. I was fairly sure we were about we were all about to die. And pointed out to Rubio that I could be the last human being ever to have listened to these talking points. It's just a little turbulence, Rubio assured me. It's just like a campaign. Even if we survived the crash, I suggested... We would probably starve in the Nevada desert, never be found. We might have to start eating people if we land in the wrong place, Rubio conceded. Again, deploying, this is, see, this is Rubio, this is funny? That's not funny. See, that's not funny. I mean, we might chuckle and think that's funny, but that's not funny, because you know why that's not funny? Because that's happened. The Donner Party? Hello? This has already happened. See, that's not funny. <laughs> we might have to start eating people, huh? Okay. Well, anyway, I've been thinking about this choppy joyride over Nevada as the final days of Marcomentum, such as it never was, now appeared to be at hand. To date, Rubio is one only Minnesota, Puerto Rico. I'm not sure Puerto Ricans actually get to vote in the uh, general election, but anyway, he won that primary, and he won uh, the District of Columbia. Woohoo! He sits in a distant third place in the delegate count, and the math is unforgiving. Even if Ted Cruz and John Cassius dropped out and Rubio won an average of 75% of the vote in the remaining states, he would still fall short of securing a nomination. His campaign's been fighting off daily reports that he's out to, he's about to quit. He still trails Trump in Florida, where Rubio must win in Tuesday's primary. And the reason why, for those of you not following this, uh, Rubio is a senator, and he is a senator from the state of Florida. If you lose your own state, uh, you know, Rubio really should have got out of this last week before he lost Florida. Because losing Florida is not just going to end his campaign. It's going to damage his political career. He will be known as the senator who could not even carry his own state. Wow. See, that's that's not a good thing. Oh, anyway. uh, Let's see... uh, so Rubio has this joke about Trump. He goes, you know what they say about guys with small hands? Rubio said at a campaign rally in Salem, Virginia, pausing for laughter and effect. Trump responded with characteristic taste and restraint, reassuring a debate audience a few nights later that he was, fear not, sufficiently endowed. Because, see, this is this is all very important in, in a presidential candidate, isn't it? Uh-huh. Quote, this man has turned the most important election in a generation into a freak show, Rubio told me a few days ago, referring to Trump. Well, somebody ought to remind Marco that, well, in order to have a freak show, you got to have freaks. Go take a look in the mirror there, boy. Yeah, and, and keep your clothes on, and keep your homosexual friends away, too, bubble boy. 
So who's he calling a freak? And I allowed myself to get pulled into the portion of that, even if it was just for one day. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, so there you go with that. That's what's happening. Tuesday's going to be this. And, uh, you know, the... Um, Now, Kasich, this guy, now he could win Ohio. And, you know, I got to say, he, he, he carries himself as an adult. But listen to this. Um, with Marco's, uh, Rubio's presidential hopes diminishing as his personal demons catch up with him from his relationship with billionaire Norman Brayman, to his role in pushing Obama's amnesty, the donor class seems to be turning its eyes to John Kasich's last stand in Ohio. He hasn't won any states, okay? So, okay, great. Uh, let's say he wins his own state that he is governor of right now. I mean, don't you think he ought to win Ohio? If he doesn't, man, you're a history. The hope seems to be that a Kasich win in Ohio will not only deny GOP frontrunner Donald Trump delegates, but it will also create a new vehicle for arriving at a contested convention. Because the Kasich campaign was largely ignored as a non-factor prior to Rubio's polling collapse, Kasich went months with virtually no scrutiny or even his most bizarre statements on the campaign trail. However, in recent days, Trump has increasingly set his sights on Kasich, whether it be Kasich rolls at Lehman Brothers during the time of the economic collapse. Gee, I wonder why they don't want Trump and they want all these other guys, any of these other guys. Kasich, for God's sakes, Rubio, who cares, even Cruz, somebody, somebody, anybody but Trump. Why? Well, let's see. Cruz, Goldman Sachs. Rubio, Goldman Sachs. Kasich? Oh, Lehman Brothers. Oh, that's nice. So they're all in with the bankers. As well as Kasich's, now get this, Kasich's support for NAFTA. And his support for Obama's Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. Wow, this guy is like, hey, screw the American people. Screw your uh, middle class. Screw you having a livable wage job. Screw you. We're here for the multinational corporations. That's Kasich. Donald Trump and Senator Jeff Sessions have warned would destroy Ohio's auto industry. In particular, Trump has zeroed in on Kasich's heretofore overlooked push for massive amnesty. Though it has transpired without much attention, Kasich has quietly amassed a string of bizarre, peculiar, and extreme statements on immigration that places him to the furthest leftward reaches of not just the Republican presidential field, but even the Democratic presidential field. And people out there got the nerve to say, well, Donald Trump's not a real Republican. Okay. Well, anyways, what does that mean anyway? This perhaps underscores an element of seriousness to Kasich's pre uh, previous declaration, which he had intended in jest. I ought to be running in a Democratic primary. Yeah. 
Well, here's some things that Casey just said, just in case that you're, uh, you know, wondering. God bless illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants are a critical part of our society. John Kasich told the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce last October, for those that are here that have been law-abiding, God bless them, Kasich said, arguing that illegals should have a path to legalization. Two, I couldn't imagine enforcing our current immigration laws. That is not the kind of values that we believe in. Oh, we who? The multinational corporations? On the GOB debate stage in February, Kasich told millions of American voters that enforcing the nation's immigration laws is not the kind of values that we believe in. I couldn't even imagine how we could even begin to think about taking a mom or a dad out of a house when they have not committed a crime since they've been here leaving their children in the house. That is not my opinion, the kind of values that we believe in. Oh, here we go with the Hillary Clinton. Oh, we're going to be dragging people out of their houses and separating families. No, you don't. You take away their jobs. You take away their benefits. You take away their health care. You take away their schooling. You take it all away. If you're here illegally, you are not entitled to nothing. Nothing. Now, if you can make it here on that, then you're probably going to end up being a a, a, a quite a good American because you're going to have to have something going on in order to make it when you get nothing. So, anyway, we got to take a break. We'll be back in a bit and uh, we'll get a little more on Kasich because you know why? He has gone overlooked and Ohio is coming up and he needs to lose his own state too because this is not a good choice, this man. Now, it's not because you know, oh, well, I just want to see Donald Trump win. It's because I don't want to see Kasich win. I don't want to see Rubio win. I don't want to see Trump. You know, that's the whole thing. It's not so much that I want to see Trump win as I don't want to see any of the others win because they're just all worse. I mean, it really is the lesser of evils, and, you know, it's terrible. But we'll be back in a bit.
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is March 14, 2016, about 12.42 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast. That's when it is where you're at. We're live, 800-932-1980. I think I neglected to give you that at the beginning of the show. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. That is the call-in number for every live show that actually takes calls. Not all the live shows do, but, hey, the ones that do, that's the number. Write it down. If you don't want to call me, you might want to call one of them. You can also go to the uh, chat room, which is located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. And uh, this weekend, the uh, the trends, uh, the migration to a new server seems to have worked okay it seems to have worked and uh everything uh that i've gotten done is uh working now the uh the news page uh i'm still working on that but that that'll be back here uh in a little bit uh, and we'll have a legacy button on the site that you can get to the old site if you'd like anyhow so there it is. Yahoo Instant Messenger, if you have that, you can contact me directly. My screen name is AVRN Talk. Okay, let's finish up with Kasich because, you know, he's going to be getting a lot more uh, look at here because Ohio's coming up and then, woo, we got to stop Trump. And if he can win there, well, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's his own state. Jeez, he's the governor. He hasn't won one state yet. And they're making it, it really, really, folks, look back at any elections. If anybody like Kasich would have been in the running, say, four years ago or eight years ago, he would have already dropped out. Why? Because he hasn't won any states. He's got almost no delegates, and now we're coming up on his state, and there's even a question if he's going to win that. He probably will, but big deal. You win one state, and you're in the race, and the media is acting as though, oh, this guy's really got a chance, yeah. Never before would have this gone. As a matter of fact, any, any election in my lifetime, with a candidate having the kind of support Donald Trump has shown to have, I don't know if anybody would have stayed in the race. Maybe Cruz, because he has won some states. I mean, he's pretty far behind in the delegates, but he's won a few states. But any of the others, man, they'd have been gone long ago. But not this year, because they need... The, the GOP is directing these guys to stay in there, and we'll prop you up, and we'll act like you're, uh, you know, like you're actually doing something when you're not, because we just need any, you know, if you can get any delegates away from Donald Trump, that's what they're going for. Kasich also says illegal immigrants are some of the hardest working, God fearing, family oriented people you can ever meet. When a New Hampshire town hall attendee asked Kasich about illegal immigration and the burden illegal immigrants place upon our nation, Kasich dismissed the voters' concern. A lot of these people who are here are some of the hardest-working, God-fearing, family-oriented people you ever meet. 
These are people who are contributing significantly. Kasich made no mention of the fact that 87% of illegal immigrant households with children in 2012 were on welfare. Okay, folks, hey, guess what? What have I been saying? Cut out the welfare. Cut out the bennies. Cut out the stuff. You just got rid of 87% of the illegal aliens. Why are these people on welfare? Kasich similarly made no mention of last year's report from the Liberal Migration Policy Institute, which found that there are nearly one million illegal aliens in the United States with criminal convictions. This figure was not an estimation of total crimes committed by illegal immigrants, which would be much, much higher, but only those illegal aliens successfully identified, arrested, tried, and convicted. Allowing ICE officers to do their jobs is not humane, Kasich told CBS last year that he does not support deporting the illegal population. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's humane. Kasich also compared illegal immigration to cutting in line at Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I don't favor citizenship for illegals because, as I tell my daughters, you don't jump in the line to go to a Taylor Swift conference. You just don't do it. However, Kasich has made clear that he is open for to giving illegal aliens citizenship. Moreover, a report from Columbus Dispatch suggests that Kasich favors green cards for illegal aliens, which is the main pathway to citizenship. America can't deport illegal aliens because they are made in the image of the Lord. Is that right? Well, Hey, I guess you can't put anybody in jail then either, because we're all made in the image of the Lord. In June, the Columbus Dispatch reported on a meeting that took place between John Kasich and an illegal immigrant and her son. After their meeting, Kasich said they just, they're just good people. They've made, they're made in the image of the Lord. And you know, there's a big element of compassion connected to how we treat people who are trying to find a way to a better life. And if that means stealing your crap, raping your daughters, well then, hey, it's okay, because they're just trying to make their lives better. If being made in the image of the Lord provides an exemption to America's immigration law, then that would mean that all of the world's 7 billion people would be free to violate America's immigration laws. And also... Are, is it only the illegal aliens that are made in the image of the Lord? What about all the American citizens robbing banks and, you know, killing people? And what about them? Oh, it wouldn't be right to incarcerate them. We have to have compassion because, well, they're made in the image of the Lord. Except what about the people they killed? What about the people they robbed? What about the people they've injured and damaged, huh? They're all made in the image of the Lord, too. Oh, screw them. Right? Kasich has called for implementing an open border-style policy where workers can come and go as they please. In July, Kasich told Fox News' Sean Hannity that we need to have a guest worker program so people can come in, work, and then leave. 
Kasich claimed that the nation's guest worker program, which admits an unprecedented number of foreign workers into the country, is too narrow, is astonishing, and places him squarely in the thin, tiny minority of the Republican electorate, only 7% of whom want to increase immigration. Moreover, Kasich called for a guest worker program that would allow workers to come and go as they please. Do you know why Kasich is doing this? Because Ohio is a pretty, as far as things go in the United States today on a sliding you know, scale, Ohio is a pretty industrialized state. And he wants more immigration because all he's concerned about is cheap labor. He doesn't give a damn about the people of Ohio. He doesn't give a damn about the American citizens that live in Ohio and need jobs. He doesn't care. He wants to be able to provide his corporations to stay in Ohio so he can provide them with illegal cheap labor. Kasich would enact amnesty within his first 100 days. Yep, in last Thursday's CNN debate, Kasich told voters that he would enact the largest amnesty in U.S. history within the first 100 days of office. Well, if that doesn't disqualify this ass, I don't know what would. For the 11.5 million who are here, then in my view, if they have not committed a crime since they've been here, they get a path to legalization, not to citizenship. I believe the program can pass the Congress in the first hundred days. You're a dreaming, pal. America shouldn't address ending birthright citizenship because it's dividing people. Kasich has made clear that he does not want to discuss birthright citizenship as an issue. While Kasich previously supported ending birthright citizenship, he's since reversed his position, meaning he now supports giving citizenship to all children of illegal aliens or tourists and guest workers who are born on U.S. soil. I don't believe it should be a fundamental part of this whole thing because I think it remains a dividing people, to be honest with you. Let these people who are born here be citizens, and that's the end of it. I don't want to dwell on it. If you're born here, you're a citizen, period, end of story. Yeah? Really? Okay. So if I rob a bank and I get away with it, I get to spend all that money, don't I? Because, hey, you didn't catch me. I got away with it. And you know what? Even if I don't, hey, if I can steal all the money out of the bank, run to somebody else, give them all the money, hey, you can arrest me. They're allowed to use the money, right? Because that's really what's going on, folks. Mommy and Daddy broke the law and handed citizenship to the little baby anchor, okay? Yeah, the little baby anchor is from a poisoned tree. And this is not just some little theory I came up with. This is an actual legal theory that they use all the time. Fruit from the poison tree. That's why when you rob the bank and you give the money to, say, your brother or sister, your brother and sister don't then get to keep the money because, well, I didn't rob the bank, and he gave it to me, and, uh, you know... I get to keep it now. No, you don't get to keep it. As a matter of fact, you'll be arrested for being in possession of stolen goods. And that's exactly what mommy and daddy illegal alien are doing for their little anchor baby. They're breaking the law. That baby is the product of that crime. And now it's being rewarded with citizenship. This is an insanity. And it's an inconsistent. It's inconsistent with American jurisprudence. 
And here's something really smart. This is, this is why this guy's a genius. Illegal immigrants should be allowed to stay because they're here. Wow. You know what? I'd like to kick in John Kasich's door, plop down on his couch, start eating the food out of his refrigerator, maybe uh, have a little sex with his wife while I'm at it, and uh, say, hey, John, what's the big deal? I'm here. You can't let me. You can't make me leave. What are you talking about? I'm here. Oh, but that wouldn't be any good because, see, that would be him. But that's what illegal aliens are doing to this whole country. With the 12 million, they're here, Kasich said, explaining why he supports a path to legalization. If they had been law-abiding, then I believe they should have a path to legalization. Look, they have become very important part of our society. Yes, the slave part of our society. Folks, do you really think we have a healthy society that has a slave class? See, by this talk, you understand who this man is supported by and who he actually represents. Multinational corporations who really don't care about anything except the cheapest labor they can find. That's who he represents. That's who he's about. Now, you've probably heard about the violence at Trump rallies. Well, guess what? It's not by accident. It's George Soros. He's funding it. They have decided. Now, remember... Remember, let's think back in history now. See, there are a lot of parallels, and you see, all the parallels don't point directly at Trump. But I will go back to Nazi Germany. Now, in Nazi Germany, do you know what Hitler used to do? Hitler used to send his brown shirts, before the black shirts killed them all, he used to send his brown shirts to opposition, meaning, you know, whoever was running against him, opposition rallies. And they would go there, and they'd start beating up people, they'd make a big disruption, and they would just tear the whole rally to pieces. That's going on at Trump rallies by guess who? That's right, moveon.org. That would be George Soros, for you, those of you out there not following along is conducting fundraising activities from the Chicago protests against Donald Trump that prompted the Republican presidential frontrunner to cancel a rally there Friday and promises that more disruptions are on the way. Last night, without consulting local police, Donald Trump abruptly canceled a rally in Chicago in the face of massive and overwhelmingly peaceful student-led protests. Yes, Peaceful student-led protest. B.S. MoveOn.org wrote in an email Saturday to members, We're being flooded with aggressive emails and social media posts from the Trump supporters. Yeah, oh, oh, gee, we send our big black thugs into the Chicago rally to bust the place up, and now we're getting nasty emails, those evil Trump supporters. Some of them are threatening, oh, as threatening as a big black man in, in camouflage being paid by George Soros to beat up people at a rally. More threatening than that. You know what? People need to start standing up to these uh, moveon.org assholes. Oh, did I say asshole? Gee, sorry. Cover your ears. The email asked members to donate $3 to help the effort. The progressive group is funded by billionaire George Soros and has endorsed, guess who, 
Bernie Sanders. We need to double down on our work showing that America is better than Trump's bullying, hate-baiting, and indictments to violence. We are committed to nonviolence, but we will not be silent. We will not be invisible. So, let's see. We've been ramping up our efforts for months. So, here's the plan. This is what they're saying here. We'll support MoveOn.org members to call out and nonviolently protest Trump's racist, bigoted, misogynist, xenophobic, and violent behavior. Violent behavior? And show the world that America rejects Trump's hate. And to keep it going, we're counting on you to donate whatever you can. Uh Uh-huh. Donate? What do you need donations from me or anybody else for? You've got George Soros. Hey, here's something to uh, close on. This comes straight from ICE. 124 illegal aliens released from jail later are charged in 138 murder cases. I wonder if anybody told Kasich this. Huh? Yeah, 124 illegal aliens released from prison have been involved with 138 murders. Hmm. Anyway, got to go. I'll be back again tonight with two hours. Uh, We'll have Dean uh, Lauren on. And uh, coming up next is financial survival. And after that, we've got a full day coming, so stay tuned. As always, thanks for listening. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. 
If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Adisk, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. And today is Monday, March 14th, 2016. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. Well, we had a sort of a another nasty day in the gold market today. We had gold down 17, currently in the New York spot at 12.33. We have silver down 16 at 15.41. Platinum is down six, 961 dollars, and palladium is also down five at 573 dollars. The USDX today is trading higher, up 0.42 at 96.62. Crude oil was down 1.25. At 37.25, and the paper markets today, uh, they were all positive for most of the day. You have the Dow back at 17,000. Oh, come on, 17,228, up 15. The Nasdaq. Basically unchanged, 47.50 up a point. S&P was down 2.55 at 2019. 10-year yield, 1.96%. The euro was down, of course, 0.43 at 111. And Asian markets, uh, Germany was up big at 162, uh, still below that 10,000 level. And, of course, the Asian markets were stronger uh, by over one percent, Japan was actually up almost two, up one and three quarters percent, and um, uh, the, the trend is still greed to more to the greed than fear, and um, things have calmed. You know, um, oil prices have been rising now, but yet it's really interesting that. Uh, I don't think we we have yet, or the banks have yet, um, to experience all the defaults that are looming in the background. And um, last month we saw 
Uh, the oil prices plunged to a 13-year low to $26 a barrel. Now we're back up uh, uh, to the level we are today, 30, 37. Natural gas prices, they still remain at 17-year lows. Uh, Baker Hughes said that there were just 480 rigs drilling for oil and natural gas last week, and that's down by 57% the year before. To me, that's a huge drop. Uh, the previous low was set in 1999, and uh, they have been falling, um, you know, just to, at this incredible speed in, in just these past months. So I don't think the banks have yet uh, um, are experiencing the full assault of the defaults that's still coming from the oil industry. I think we've seen a lot of the impact on you know, individuals as far as losing jobs, home home prices in certain areas and so forth, where oil plays a very important uh, factor. Um, but um, so uh, I think there's still a lot to be seen here in the oil industry. I think long-term investments in oil are probably unwise. Long-term. There may be a lot of money to be made in the next several years. I don't doubt that. But I'm not convinced that if you were going to say, well, I'll buy some stock in the oil industry and leave it to my grandchildren and they will be have access to it in 20 years. I'm not sure that you better be no. pretty prophetic in order to pick an oil stock that will still be significant and prosperous 20 years from now just because technology is changing. Too many things are moving. I mean... If they develop a battery that really works well, that's the only thing that's holding the electrical car back. Um, they don't have batteries yet that are cost-effective and that can come in at a price people can afford and can let them drive for five or 600 miles on one charge. Because at the point in time when they do that, and batteries that can be recharged quickly, when they have that range of five, 600 miles, and they can be recharged quickly. <clears throat> I think the American gasoline engine is going to become fairly rare. It's not going to dominate automotive industry the way it does today. And when it goes, so will the uh, the petroleum uh, industry and so on. You know, we talked a couple of years ago, it was popular to talk about peak oil. And we had reached a point where we had got the majority, we had, we had, found the majority of the oil that was available in the world, and from then on it would continue to decline and decline. The supply would decline, and prices would necessarily have to go up. Well, it's turned out that peak oil was just an illusion, at least so far. There are some people that believe that crude oil is not generated from biological residue. There's some people that think crude oil is actually being generated by some sort of a process within the earth itself. And if that's true, we're never going to run out of, out of, out of uh, uh, crude oil. Um, we're going to be able to find it, and if we, when we can't find it, wait around and there'll be more. The earth is perhaps making more. I, th I believe they call it abiotic, meaning it's not from a biological source. Something chemical is happening in the earth to cause the creation of this, that it migrates up toward the surface, and we find it, pump it out, and use it in our automobiles. The point is that, as improbable as it sounds, it may be that the source of that the supply of crude oil is basically 
you can't say it's unlimited, but it's we're not going to see peak oil. All right. And at the same time, the requirement for crude oil is likely to diminish. And not only because of batteries and electrical powered automobiles, but because we're going to see increasing technological improvement in solar and solar energy, for example. And we're going to see increasing improvement in extracting energy from the wind. And all of this means, you know, it implies that crude oil, we'll still need it. We'll may, I assume we'll still use it as lubricants. And there'll be other uses for it. It's not going to disappear. But I don't believe it's going to grow over the course of the next 20 years to the same extent that the global economy is going to grow. I think there's going to be a divergence and therefore, you know, Right now, right now, oil is still <clears throat> a viable investment and likely to become profitable again, significantly profitable in the in the relatively near future. But 20 years, that, that prediction is not, mm, that's improbable. So we'll watch and see, Melanie. Pretty soon, uh, people will be using their flymobiles. Yeah, maybe their bicycles are going. Maybe we'll be using our bicycles, and we won't need any crude oil for gasoline or batteries or drive automobiles, electrical or otherwise. But um, well, I would the think if they crude oil does not appear to be bright to me. You know what will be bright is where they decide they can make the most money, and uh, you know that that that's that is what will win out. Oh. Well, that's always what wins yeah, out. Yeah, there, yeah, there's, so. there's big significance here, and it's not just about yeah. who's going to win the money. All right? For example, what's going to happen to the Middle East if it turns out that crude oil is no longer much in demand? What happens then? All of the Middle Eastern countries that are enriched by the presence of crude oil at the moment, they're going to lose that source of revenue. What will that do? Will that destabilize the Middle East? You bet. What happens to politics in a world where you could suspect for perhaps the last, since World War II, that the people who ran the oil industry were to significant degree setting American foreign policy? Oil is no longer play a major player and no, no longer absolutely necessary to the global economy. You know, what happens to the oil moguls who used to run things and now they find out they're just kind of along for the ride. A lot of consequences flow from the possibility that oil is going to become less necessary uh, in the for in, in 20 years, within 20 years. And it could be obvious, this, this kind of prediction could be obvious maybe 10 years, maybe even earlier, and it could be just undeniable by 20 years, could be over by then, but Watch and see. I'd say I'd say crude oil has another good five years, right? Reasonably good, but then after that, um, we'll watch and see. Well, we'll just see how fast this uh, technology can. Uh, um, you know, you you can say that they already have the technology, but they'll just milk it uh, until they. You know, actually run out. But speaking of automobiles, to understand how far the U.S. auto business business has been reaching for new customers, uh, there's an early performance of a bond issue called Scopos, S-K-O-P-O-S, 
Auto Receivables Trust 2015-2. These bonds were built out of subprime auto loans and sold in November. And through February, about 12% of these underlying loans were at least 30 days past due, a third of which were more than 60 days delinquent. In another 2.6% of loans, borrowers had filed for bankruptcy or the vehicles have been uh, repossessed. Um, so again, you have this auto industry that uh, is out there doing all these subprime loans, and uh, you know all the the majority of these borrowers are on the uh, you know fringe of uh, you know if they can get it for nothing. So there's a high level of missed payments for these loans, and uh, you know you you're can talking about this. majority of the loans. If I if I yeah the numbers you're talking about. We're not talking about 10 or 15 or 20 percent. I don't yeah. recall the numbers you said. You had two major numbers. One was over 30 percent. I think the first one was over 30 percent also. Am I, am I mistaken? Um, 12 percent of the underlying loans were at least 30, 30 days past oh, 30 due. Days. A third, a third yeah. of which were more than 60 days delinquent. Oh, okay. okay. And thought, another... No. And another 2.6% had filed for bankruptcy. All right. All right. Been, so. And we're talking 15, 20% of the loans are delinquent at this point in time. No, so it's you're... not over 50%, but it's 15, 20% somewhere in that, ra- in that range are delinquent at this time. Even so, they, how, do they, how do they deal with that? No, you're right. A third, which would be no, plus. Plus twelve percent plus two point six. So you're right the first time. Well, I'm usually right, Melody. I, I usually. Oh, did I actually people, say that? I know people. Oh, yes, I know that they, they don't usually <laughs> say it until after the program is over. He's like, you know what? I think that guy was actually right. <clears throat> In this case, I'm not convinced that I'm right, but I'll accept. I'll accept <laughs> the uh, the compliment. I will, Frank. Get get that. Cut Write that segment out of the program. Record it. <laughs> Send it to me with a bronze plaque. I think I finally won the award. <laughs> any case. Uh, in all any this, case. You know, you can't blame these people, though, because how would they know <laughs> that subprime auto loans wouldn't work? I mean, it's not like we have previous experience with subprime mortgage loans that failed. Or did we, Melody? Oh, yeah, we did. That was a failure, too, wasn't it? And, gee, who would have ever thought that subprime auto loans would be as big a failure as subprime mortgage loans? I mean, I mean that was in the old days. That was, that was eight, ten years ago that they failed. The more subprime mortgage loans, it, surely we couldn't have the same principles applied today as applied then, could we? Could just, we? I don't know. It's just so crazy. And everyone shocked, shocked, I tell you. Oh, my God. This is just another sign, folks. It's not the, 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 the record auto sales is not due to a great economy, but it's only due to the easy auto lending that has been given to them. And, uh, you know, the 2015, uh, new cars, sales of new cars and light trucks came in at a record 17.5 million. Yeah. And uh, so... And the strong pace is basically carried into this year. Sales of used cars, with a, which is a majority of subprime borrow, borrower, borrowers purchase, they're also increasing. And uh, 
it's almost to a the, the amount of U.S. auto loans is almost as high as as student uh, student debt, one yeah. trillion dollars, mm-hmm. and a fifth is made to some prime borrowers, and that's according to Equifax. So we've got two trillion dollars yeah. basically in loans to students, who mm-hmm. probably half of them at least won't pay, and we've got another that's trillion true. dollars in subprime autos, if I'm understanding it correctly, mm-hmm. yeah. of which. I don't know, a 20% won't pay. So we're talking, by the time we got done, we've, we've got $2 trillion out there, and probably 30 40% of that $2 trillion is going to disappear, and maybe more than that. I mean, if the students really start to refuse to pay, um, what are they going to do? Jail them all? And they may not be able to. If they can't get jobs, they went to college so they could get better jobs. If they can't get better jobs, well, at uh, least yeah. at least they'll vote for Bernie. But one more fact on this: eighty-seven percent of the loans were to borrowers with credit scores below six hundred, and we know the scale is three hundred to eight fifty. And a third of those had scores below five hundred or no credit scores at all. So. <laughs> Just another accident waiting to happen. and uh, Well, it's and already it, happening to some extent. Mm-hmm. The, the big accident, the real wreck, of course, will be the national debt. Mm-hmm. Because sooner or later, they are going to have to admit that the national debt is even bigger than what the students own, owe, and even bigger than what the subprime automobile borrowers owe, and even less likely to be repaid. And when it does... It's going to be a messy time for people who don't have savings of their own that they can protect on their own, which almost certainly means not in a bank, not in a digital format. Savings that you can lay hands on because there's going to be automobiles and homes and God knows what for sale for who knows. 20% 20% of what they're worth today. Let's take a break for some commercials. Melody and I will be right back on Financial Survival. Please stay tuned. will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, 
It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. What's next, Melody? I just want to remind the listeners to uh, give us a call at our telephone number and uh, visit our website at dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. Make sure you sign up for our weekly newsletter. And, of course, uh, you can listen to these programs or archived on a weekly and daily basis. So make sure you get to the website, dgscoins.com. Dot com. During the break, Al and I were talking about uh, some information that was released about um, Vladimir Putin. Uh, his ordering a surprised partial withdrawal of Russian military forces from Syria, um, hoping that it will put some pressure uh, on uh, al-Assad to strike a deal ending five years of war. Um, they're going to keep the Russian air air base and the naval facility will continue to function and um, so we'll just have to see um, if his message that he is in control in Syria and uh, if it will force Assad to the negotiating table uh, kind of makes you wonder whether he is trying to force Assad to the negotiating table or if he just can't afford to continue the presence in Syria yeah I agree it's, it's surprising Putin's got to be under a lot of pressure to pull his any of his military out of Syria at this time, and that necessarily and I don't necessarily mean military pressure, but perhaps economic. I'm not sure what's happening here, but Putin has blinked. That's perhaps the most important point. Putin has been unrelenting practically in in his attempts to stand up against the West or whoever. Uh, when Putin said something, that was the way it was. Now Putin is backed up, and it may be that he's run out of gas, or he thinks 
he's cut another deal or who knows what's happening here, but this is certainly kind of report that gets you talking to yourself and makes you wonder what is happening here. If Putin, on the other hand, if he's pulling military out, but he's keeping the air base and he's keeping the the naval port, presumably the last report I heard they had a some sort of a frigate or cruiser or whatever Russian cruiser that was capable of fire, firing, I don't know, 15, 20 more, who knows, uh, drones. These presumably are equipped with nuclear weapons, or at least can be. As long as that's there, they've got, they still wield an enormous amount of power. Same thing is true with the Russian air base. Assuming all the airplanes remain, they are certainly nu- capable of using tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, you know, what are we going to have here? Um, it's, it's another one of those, you know, we use the, the analogy leaf in the breeze regularly on this program. This is another one. And it doesn't tell us which way the wind is blowing. We can see the wheat see this wheat leaf dancing outside the window, but I don't know if the, the wind is coming from the north or the south or the east or the west. It just caught that leaf in a place. What we do know is that the leaf is moving more rapidly than it has recently. Uh, I don't know which way the wind is blowing, but it's blowing stronger. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to. Interesting, and who knows? Uh, you know, interesting may be insufficient. The word may be insufficient to describe what's happening if Russia is beginning to withdraw from Syria. Um, but it's a it's a surprising sign because it will be understood by the people of Russia as evidence that they are not that their economy, their system, whatever, is not as strong as they may have previously imagined. I really have a hard time imagining why Putin did this. He may have perfectly good, innocent, and minor reason. Maybe. But I'm looking at it, and I'm saying he's going to catch some negative some negative uh, pressure off of this. And where is it going to wind up? Has Russia been overrated up until now? Have, they, have we perceived them much stronger than they really are? And are we finally beginning to see, uh-oh, they're really kind of kind of weak, or has Putin cut another deal with someone else? Is he betraying someone else? Uh, we'll find out. I don't doubt that the end will the the truth will be known. All right, maybe several versions of the truth may be known in the near future, and uh, well, we'll have an opportunity to figure out which one might be most true. It'll be interesting to see what the U.S. response is and how the U.S will go forward in dealing with al-Assad. As you know, they want him out of there. And is this Russia pulling out is giving the, or little that he is or big that he is, is this giving them sort of the okay to go in there and take him out? Yeah, but I don't think the United States is going into Syria any more than it is already. I don't expect to be sending more Americans. That doesn't mean they won't take al-Assad out. No, I understand that, but they'll do it with proxies. I'm just saying... I don't expect well, to put my point. Is on this, the ground in Syria. Is this Putin's way of saying, there you go, guys? Well, it kind of sounds like it. Mm-hmm. And it's the sort of thing where you can sit back and say, what did you get for cutting that deal, Mr. Putin? I mean, and what are you going to lose? 
If it turns out that Putin is going to betray an ally, he's going to lose a lot. If it turns out that Putin is weaker than people expected, he's going to lose a lot, not only on the, on the international stage, but domestically. Russian people will lose a certain amount of enthusiasm and you know, confidence in their, in their government and Putin if he backs out of this situation. So this strikes me as maybe a small thing, but, for the, but the implication is pretty large. Or at least maybe. So we'll watch and see. Or it could have been we'll give you, you know, we'll back out of Ukraine and we won't give you such a hard time over it if you back out of Syria. So who knows? We'll find out, I guess, maybe, perhaps. Well, maybe that's the deal. Maybe that's the deal. I mean, that would make a little sense to me. If Putin backed out of Syria on condition that the United States backed out of Ukraine, that would make a little sense to me. Right, you could walk away from that and still say, "Well, we cut a good deal for us. wasn't very good for for Ukraine or Syria, but it was good for the Russians and maybe good for the Americans as well." No, I think that's about this point in time. That's the only thing that matters to those powers to be. You know, I think they give very little care to the Ukrainians or the Syrians. Of course, they're just they're just they're just they're just pawns on the chessboard. That's all. They get used and sacrificed and. Um, nobody pays too much attention to them. Got an article here from Washington Times. It says moveon.org raising funds from Trump protests warns more disruptions to come. Moveon.org, you may remember that organization. I believe they were the ones for the responsible for the sit-ins on Wall Street a couple of years ago. Generated a great deal of publicity at the time. I haven't heard much from them in the past several years. MoveOn.org is conducting fundraising activities from the Chicago protests against Donald Trump that prompted the Republican presidential frontrunner to cancel a rally there Friday and promises that more disruptions are on the way. It was not a good thing, for, in my opinion, for Trump to cancel that rally. All right, He's backing down to these people. He may make up for that in the future. But that's not a good thing for Trump to cancel the rally. It shows that he may be less willing to fight. And the question really is, you know, is, I mean, one of the things that's attracted to people, people to Trump so far is that he appears willing to fight. While the rest of the politicians appear only willing to posture. Right? They're not really willing to fight. They're not, you know, um, the backing out of this rally—that's not a good thing for. That's not a good thing for uh, Mr. Trump, in my opinion. Well, I don't uh, think last... he needed. I don't think he needed to go and fight. I mean, it's Chicago, for heaven's sakes. It's probably one of the most violent, if not the number one city of violence in the country. I, I wouldn't that. go there either. He doesn't need to fight. In and the I, I've got lots of customers in Chicago, so you know, no, but. You know, from what you read in here, you know, Chicago's a very violent city. And I don't see it as being weak. And I'm not sticking up for Trump, but I just wouldn't see it as being weak. Well, I think some people do. Well, in any case. They're uh, the ones uh, with the problem. (laughs) Go ahead. Well, here's another one. There's an email that was quoted uh, uh, from MoveOn. We need to double down on our work. Showing America is better than Trump's bullying, hate-baiting, and incitements to violence. We're committed to nonviolence, but we will not be silent. We will not be invisible. 
the group detailed efforts to in efforts in recent months highlighting ads that has run against the real estate mogul and the advocacy it has done on behalf of refugees. What do they mean by refugees, Melody? You tell me. You Illegal tell us. aliens. Illegal aliens. Move on is moving to support the illegal aliens, and they've run a few ads in the last couple of weeks, and they are now there for expressing some advocacy they've done on behalf of refugees, but they're talking about illegal aliens, uh, who move on, said are under attack from the GOP and support it gave to Trump uh, protesters in Chicago. Now I read this as move on is trying to tell the world that it inspired the Chicago demonstrations, that it's essentially leading the movement against Trump. That's not the case. But in doing so, move on is only trying to exploit the Chicago demonstrations and regain a re- leadership role uh, in leftist politics that was strong a couple of years ago when they were demonstrating against Wall Street and is now not so strong. Nevertheless, it's ironic that many of the anti-group demonstrators are black. Since the influx of illegal aliens favored by the left, Obama and move on, will only help bring more illegals into the country who will take jobs that would otherwise go to blacks. Blacks that are supporting move on are supporting an increase in illegal aliens. Huh? Trump intends to build a wall between Mexico and the United States that will stop the influx of illegal aliens and thereby help blacks get more jobs. If blacks had any sense, we would assume they'd support Trump. However, who who do they support? They support the leftists who will push blacks deeper into poverty and into dependence. Yeah, Why do blacks do? Who do blacks despise? They despise Trump, who'd keep the, who would stop the illegals and thereby help get jobs to blacks. Now, either a significant portion of the black community is irrational, or they would simply rather have welfare checks under Hillary than jobs under Trump. Well, I don't think anybody that's tied to this moveon.org is any, you know, is a, the poster for, you know, most people. I mean, they're paid. Uh, to create disruption. So, you know, they're just a bunch of thugs, and I don't think it has any relationship to, um, you know, to what a particular community would, um, you know, agree or disagree. They're just a well, bunch of paid thugs. They're just a bunch of paid thugs to go and create uh, yeah, yeah, situations. I, I, I mean, that. just like you had in Ferguson. They were, you know, Soros paid those people to go to Ferguson to create situations. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's Soros that should be arrested because I agree. I, it, it's, you know, and it's, if you and I did this, we'd be arrested. <laughs> if anybody else in this country would, you know, pay people to, to go and have protests and, and even warn and tell people there's going to be more disruptions to the violence side, I mean, come on. What is wrong with that? These people. Uh... Anyway. Well, where this is significant is here we are tomorrow is the five state primary, North Carolina, Florida, Missouri, Illinois, and Ohio. The big ones are Ohio and Florida, and it looks like Trump has Florida knocked, if we can believe the polls. Polls indicate, the polls I've seen indicate that the election up in Ohio is extremely close. Could go either way. 
What's going to be interesting is to see whether or not the violence that was perpetrated at the Trump rally in Chicago or threatened at another Trump rally, is that going to intimidate people from supporting Trump in the Ohio primary? Or is it going to stiffen their resolve and say, I'm going to vote. I don't care what's going on. I'm going to vote. We're going to find out. We're going to find out, and it's going to be an important lesson, because we're going to find out whether violence at some rallies can effectively influence the outcome of primaries or other elections. And if so, is it going to be tolerated in the United States that violence take place at these rallies? You have a rally for Trump, for Rubio, forever. People want for whoever. And if somebody wants to come in and disrupt it and perhaps precipitate violence, will we accept that or will we say, no, we're not? We'll get the message. The protesters themselves, the demonstrators, will get the message. Let's suppose that Trump does surprisingly well and wins Ohio. It will be a slap in the face to everybody who came to his demonstration to protest and demonstrate and try to disrupt. They will learn that, holy cow, when we act like a bunch of thugs, all we do is make people more determined to vote for Mr. Trump. On the other hand, if Trump wins or loses by, say, 10%, more than anyone expects, violence, the people who demonstrated, the people who caused Trump to cancel his rally, they're going to sit back and say, violence works. And is that a good thing? I don't know if they're going to say violence because I think most well, people just look. I think most people look at these these guys that are there doing the protesting and the violence. They are just what they are—a bunch of thugs. I don't think that particular thing. Now, when you tie them to groups, so he doesn't get any votes. Yeah, they're just going to vote for him just to fight the group. I don't think it has anything to do whether it just brings in, it just brings attention, but they're more upset with the groups that are supporting these people that are creating the violence and these disruptions. Um just like uh you know, if anybody ever said anything bad about Trump, then automatically everybody seems to glom on to him. You know, they they're trying to support and protect him or or whatever. I mean, it's really kind of crazy, but so I don't know if that would be tied directly to the actual violence. I think it would be tied mainly to the groups that are, or the establishment, so to speak. Every time, look what happened when Romney spoke out. There was no violence there, but just because he spoke out against it, people started, you know, disassociating themselves from the quote-unquote establishment. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll talk about the establishment. We'll talk about violence when we can return. Let's take a break for some commercials. Melody and I will be right back to talk about violence and the establishment. Please stay tuned. count high, half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the prostate kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate gland. 
Holophytic Herbs for the Prostate Kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the Prostate Kit and empower yourself. Toll free 866-229-3663 or international callers 704-875-8010. That's toll free 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adasker with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival. And we told you when we came back, we'd be talking about violence in this election. But before you do, Al, I'd like to say one thing. I want to remind the listeners or tell them um, that Greg Hunter will be joining us tomorrow about 410, uh, 10 minutes after the top of the hour. And uh, he'll join us uh, for the, the, the full segments uh, of the program. So for Tuesday, March 15th, Greg Hunter um, will be here joining us and I know everyone enjoys uh, Greg as I do. So. All right. So in terms of the election, first thing you need to understand or at least recognize is that this may be the most exciting political election we've had. Exciting, controversial, divisive, whole bunch of things going on here. But this is perhaps the most exciting political election we've had in the United States since the election of Richard Nixon back in 1968. In that tumultuous election year, we saw one, the assassination of civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., two, subsequent race riots across the United States, three, the assassination of Democratic presidential candidate Robert E. Kennedy, four, widespread opposition to the Vietnam War across the university campuses, and five, visual or violent confrontations between the police and anti-war demonstrators as the Democrats split into multiple factions at the 1968 Democrat National Convention. When violence gets out of hand, it gets out of hand. I mean, we're talking about, what, one, two assassinations in 1968 of significant political figures, race rights. Um, uh, university demonstrations, violent confrontations between the police and anti-war protesters at the, de- at the, uh, at the Democratic National Convention. Um, this year's election isn't 
in that league just yet, but we are kind of approaching that level. And we're going to watch and see how this, and I'm certainly hoping we don't wind up with any assassinations, but the way things are going, we're going to have to watch and see. This is a strange situation. What we've seen with Trump is the first assault on his candidate candidacy was from the rich, the establishment Republicans. The Republican establishment represents those rich people who get subsidies from Washington. The subsidized rich have conspired to derail Trump's nomination and keep the subsidy gravy train rolling. Their attempts to stop Trump have not only failed, but have actually inspired more people to support Trump. The, the establishment tried to stop him. Who are the establishment? These are not yeah, ideologues. These are people who are using Washington for their own wealth and power. And they don't want that to stop. And they say, we've got to stop Trump. He might, he might, he might dis- disrupt our, our gravy train. But now we see in Chicago, the left-wing welfare recipients have launched violent demonstrations against Trump at Trump rallies. Now, the big question is whether these welfare recipients will diminish Trump's support or actually increase it in the Tuesday primary in Ohio. But the point here is that the reason the left is opposed to Trump is because he's going to, some of them, I've, I've seen videos on it, or at least some black people think he's going he's to disrupt welfare. They want their welfare checks to keep coming. The poor want the welfare, the rich want the subsidies. Who, and the government, of course, they always want money from anybody who's got it. So who is it that is most likely to support Trump? It's not the parasites, the super rich. It's not the parasites of the poor. It's the middle class, insofar as we still have one. They're the people who actually produce things who ultimately support the rich on subsidies and the poor on welfare. And they're the ones who are being deprived. The idea is, well, we can take more money from the middle class and more money from the middle class and make more promises to the parasites at both ends of the political spectrum. Those parasitical, those dependent groups, dependent on easy money from the government, they're the ones that are against Trump right now. And the only one who's likely to support him will be the middle class. So we're going to watch and see. This is going to be, and the middle class has been badly decimated, but there can be... There may be a lot of people who are no longer middle class but want to be, and they want to return to their status as middle class. There may even be people in the, in the lower uh, economic portions of, of the economy who want to rise to a middle class level, and they may be natural supporters for Trump. One other point. Talk about violence. And there have been a number of comments where Trump himself has been accused of being the one who's precipitated the violence at, that we saw in Chicago just recently and that we may see elsewhere. And they're trying to pin the rap on Trump. That's not true. What Trump has done is he has been a lightning rod for the anger that's already there in the American people. He's given that anger credence by recognizing it. He didn't make the anger. The anger that we're seeing in the American people, we can trace it back to a bunch of things. We can trace it back to the export of American industries and jobs to third world countries like China and the consequent loss of American jobs that made people angry. We can think we can look at the treasonous support for the North American Union and the New World Order by our own government that makes people angry. 
The encouragement of the influx of illegal aliens and consequent lowering of Americans' wage scale and standard of living, that makes people angry. The unending growth in the size and tyranny of our government, that makes people angry. The destruction of the middle class makes people angry. The encouragement of entitlement thinking where people who earn nothing are taught to believe they're entitled to live as parasites off other people's productive efforts. That makes some people angry. The growth of the national debt to a size that's not only unpayable, but may soon collapse our economy and maybe destroy our nation. That makes people angry. The loss of constitutional monetary system, gold and silver found in Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the Constitution, that would have allowed people to safely save their for their futures and retirement rather than have their wealth eaten away by inflation. It makes people angry. The maintenance of a national emergency that's been going on since the banking emergency was declared back in 1933. Over 80 years, we have allegedly been in a national emergency, and it's been used by government as a pretext to suspend the Constitution. That's not generally recognized, but it makes people angry. All of these atrocities, betrayals, violations and consti- of the Constitution and acts of treason have been perpetrated against the productive elements people uh, of the people in middle class the, uh, uh, of the United States of America. All of these atrocities, betrayals, violations and via- of the Constitution and acts of treason have generated an anger in much of the American people that is profound and it's been simmering and unstated, but it's been there. And Trump stood up and he recognized it and he gave it some credibility. Trump didn't make the anger. The Republican and Democrat leaders of the last two generations made that anger. And it's been building up like an avalanche, like snowflakes in an avalanche. It just keeps slowly piling up and slowly piling up. And we've all heard the metaphor. And finally, we get that one flake triggers the avalanche. We are seeing that avalanche to some degree with the Trump popularity. Again, Trump didn't make the anger, but uh, for the past 40 years, the good people of this country, the productive people of this country, tried to suppress that anger that their government has allowed and precipitated. Now, Trump has appeared and tapped into that anger, released the anger. The government, the subsidized rich, the welfare-entitled poor are blaming Trump for causing the anger. Trump didn't cause it. He just named it. He treated the people who were already angry with enough respect to simply consider and recognize their anger and the cause of their anger, uh, and the government's attempts, and our own government's attempts to destroy the United States of America. Now those destroyers want to blame Trump for the anger that they themselves have caused over the last 40 years. Tomorrow, Tuesday, we may win, we may lose, we may learn if those destroyers will win or lose. If Trump wins Ohio, the destroyers will suffer significant defeat if Trump uh, loses, uh, excuse me, um, if Trump wins, we might still have a chance to restore the United States. But the main point is this, Trump didn't make the anger. He recognized it. He gave it credibility. He saw it in the American body politic, and he gave it a voice. And now people are all upset. They say, oh, Trump, uh-huh, monk. Trump didn't make this. Trump may take advantage of it, but what he did more than anything else was say, hey, these people are angry, and they're right. 
A lot of people are attracted to that, and we will see where this goes. But tomorrow is going to be a big day, a big day in Ohio. Because we're going to learn whether the violence can work to cause Trump to lose the election, or if the violence is actually counterproductive and actually causes Trump to win by 10%. Now, I'm not betting, I'm not predicting he's going to hit 10%. But if he wins a significant victory, it'll be evidence that the violent demonstrations don't work. It'll be evidence that every time, it'll be like Obama. He says, oh, oh, they shot some people. We've got to deal, take everybody's guns away because, because a dozen people got shot. Bunk. All right? It's not true. And you can't just play on that and use a disaster as justification to, dis- to disenfranchise people, to take their guns away, to diminish their rights. That's what the left wants to do. That's even what the right wants to do out at the extreme. The establishment, the subsidized rich, that's what they want to do. They're not objecting to that. They want to exploit the middle class. And Trump has said no, at least as I read it. I'm not saying he says it clear. I'm not saying that he says no clearly, but he says no in a way that is at least inferred in general. So <clears throat> we'll watch and see. Tomorrow is going to be an important day. We're going to learn if violence works in this country or if it's to be rejected. What do you think, Melody? Shall we have more or less of more violence or less? Well, of course there should be less. You never know. You know what I mean? In the in in fact in the in the preamble or in the in the Declaration of Independence, it says, and I'll try to pull it up here and quote it here, it says all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide such new guards for their future security. And provide new guards for their future security. Founding Fathers said, you know, when the, they, they keep on usurping powers, they keep on pushing you into despotism, you see that pattern, you can't deny it, it's not just your right to resist. It's your duty to resist, and, you, and that resistance will not be achieved simply by handing out pamphlets. Something's going on right now. This is going to be an extraordinary election, and the last time we saw anything like it may have been 1968, during the Vietnam War. Wouldn't you say the resistance isn't by those who have a deep belief of their country, but only because they're getting paid to disrupt? That's their, that's what they do. That's, that's, I mean, that's, so, I mean, wouldn't you think there's two different reasons? It's not people that are being disruptive because they have a view and a point that they're trying to make, like, you know. But this, these are but just this, people. So, but the declaration said when you see a pattern that evinces a design to subject the people to absolute despotism, you got to stand up and you got to fight. All right. If the pattern includes hiring people to go disrupt rallies, that has to be fought against. All right. And the people who are pulling the strings say, "I'll pay you fifty bucks or hundred bucks or whatever to go disrupt the to go disrupt this this uh, this convention." Those people need to be identified. They need to be fought hammer and tongs. 
Not let them hide in, hide in, the, in the background where nobody knows who they are. They need to be identified. They need to be taken down. They want to rely on violence. They shouldn't be surprised if they get violence. And in the Internet age, how do you keep a secret? If it's true that they're hiring people to disrupt Trump's rallies, if they're being hired, some of them are going to go public. Right? You can't count on their silence. Some of them are going to go public, and when they do, this whole thing is going to explode. We're going to see, again, last time we had an election like this was 1968. So fasten your lap straps, folks. This is going to be an interesting and maybe shocking election year. We're out of time. I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We'll be back manana with Greg Hunter. Hope you will tune in at that time. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. I work all night. I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Never seems to be a single penny left for me. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. cell phone for business or staying in touch with family, your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. Nice.
provide Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret Silver wings upon their chest America's best 100 men will test today but only three when the green parade well all of you welcome to American Voice Radio here we are back with Moon Day and uh, it's been an exciting uh, weekend when you look and see the times of Lot and the times of Noah, you can almost uh, see where we are road sign-wise today. Pretty exciting. Anyway, if you sprang forward like you're supposed to yesterday, uh, it uh, is fine. You're listening to the program, no problem. Uh, Otherwise, you um, may be off time. Uh, Yesterday was the day to spring forward, which means you had to add an hour. It means you got an hour less sleep. And uh, we got this week, uh, Thursday, 17th, St. Patrick's Day. That's pretty important. That's the reason I mention it, because uh, in Japan, as all of you who breathe air and are upon the earth today, 
probably know they had uh, one of the worst recorded earthquakes, 8.9, and uh, which they only go up to 10. And for Japan, it is the worst thing that has happened to them since World War II. Uh, when we bombed uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This involves uh, nukes, just like it uh, involved weapons-grade nuclear weapons uh, being dropped at uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which ended the war. But uh, this concerns three of uh, Japan's nuclear reactors. Now, the Japanese have been very careful because of their sensitivity uh, and feelings about nuclear power. But uh, being modernized and all this, uh, they have nuclear power and benefiting from it, except when you are in earthquake-prone areas, it can disturb the system that it takes to run a nuclear power plant. Now, let me say, first of all, because uh, I had an email uh, from uh, you. I got your email out from Nebraska and uh, about Ranger, the the chicken herd dog. And uh, people were putting out the fact that when the uh, radiation cloud approached America that uh, we were all supposed to take Uh, this iodine-type medication that would help us uh, be resistant to radiation. Well, I told our listener, uh, don't take the stuff. She had some old stuff that she had bought at a probably a preparedness expo or something. She, her question was, Bo, uh, you know, should I uh, give this to Ranger? I don't want anything to happen you know, to uh, her border collie. And, hey, if I had a border collie, I'd give him the medicine first if I thought that I only had enough to protect one of us. But there isn't going, there is not. Let me put it this way. We don't know what's going to happen because this 8.9 is just an incredible power uh, that has... uh, split Japan, uh, torn apart some of her nuclear uh, reactors, and placed uh, probably upwards of 10,000 people uh, estimated dead. Now, let me say that as it stands right now, there is no threat to America. People that are putting out about this nuclear cloud, which is sort of uh, Chernobylish, and if you go back uh, to April the 26th, uh, 1986, there was a Ukrainian uh, location, and it was known as Chernobyl, which means wormwood in Russian. And, of course, there's a reference to Wormwood in the Bible with reference to the end times. Uh, 
And uh, Chernobyl exploded, and they had to move like uh, 300,000 people. There was a nuclear cloud that went up, but uh, most of it fell uh, on Belarus and, and the, you know, in, in this area. There was some distribution of uh, nuclear uh, activity uh, in Europe, but not in the United States. Now, that is what has been called, that was a level seven, as I recall, uh, on the scale of nuclear disasters. Well, America has had, uh, you know, our own history of nuclear uh, disasters. And so, first of all, let me tell all of you, right now, as it stands, no danger to anyone in the United States from nuclear fallout. And so people putting this out are those kinds of people uh, who uh, want to push the panic button uh, on Patriot Radio so they can probably sell you something. Now, in Japan right now, the panic button is uh, pushed, and all the water's gone, all the food. Now, Tokyo is south of where this activity is taking place, in the northeast and uh, somewhat on the northwest part of the island nation of Japan. Tokyo uh, is about uh, halfway up uh, the island. Well, where this nuclear incident has happened is up north and east primarily of Tokyo. Tokyo has had uh, really no earthquake or nuclear uh, reaction. So people in the United States seem to be more spooked uh, than people in Tokyo. But (laughs) the people in Tokyo have stripped, and this is what happens under any emergency. So this is why you should have a year's supply of food. I I can't sell it to you. I don't have it. I'm just telling you what you need to have. You need to have a 72-hour pack that you can throw in your vehicle. Hey, in my rocket and my old Cessna, I have a survival pack that I wouldn't dare take off uh, without. uh, It's like in Alaska. Only it can happen anywhere. And so if you wait until something happens, then all of a sudden all water's gone. You should have water stored, and, of course, you probably should uh, refresh it from time to time. You need a year's supply of food, as I say. You need first aid materials. You need a radio with batteries and this kind of stuff, because right now, even in Tokyo, they are shutting uh, down power because uh, they have lost tremendous amounts of power normally supplied through their nuclear reactors, which right now Tokyo and all the Japanese people that are on that island are scared to death about. And when I say scared to death, I mean it. There's a case, because what happened was there was an 8.9 earthquake. That is almost off the scale. 
With it came a tsunami. Now, the tsunami was only figured at three uh, meters. Now, a three meter, I mean, you know, a meter is 39.37 inches, which means you got about a 10-foot wave that comes up. Well, you think, uh, geez, 10 foot isn't much, but when you have the whole ocean behind a 10-foot swell, it goes these uh, little uh, quaint, wonderful uh, seaside communities that uh, basically are level, so it makes it very desirable to be on uh, on the ocean there. These tsunamis just reach in like a giant uh, blob. And because it's not, it's like a hurricane rather than versus a tornado. And it just washes up and takes everything. Houses, buses, people, trees, you name it. It just reaches out there like a giant blob and just brings everything out in the ocean. One guy was rescued yesterday who was almost 10 miles out at sea. Friends, that's a long way. And he was riding the top of his house, the roof, the tsunami. His wife uh, is missing, presumed dead. But he was on top of the roof, rode it as the tsunami drove everything back out into the ocean, was finally rescued 10 miles out. It gives you an idea of the tremendous power. Now, something, let me uh, focus just for a moment uh, on uh, America. We have 104 of these nuclear power plants. Now, uh, that is a tremendous number. Most of them, I'm talking about uh, there may be a dozen, well, there's probably not even a dozen, Uh, there's only a few west of the Rocky Mountains. And there's only a few in uh, what we call the Midwest or, you know, down here like in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, there's nothing there. But on the East Coast is where uh, most of these nuclear power plants are located, almost a hundred of them. And uh, they have a lot of people. That's where most of the people are, except in California. (laughs) Now, uh, we have, so we got 104 nuclear power plants. We have had a history, you go back to uh, March 28th, 1979, wow, see, that was uh, seven years before Chernobyl, and in a place called Middletown, Pennsylvania, there was a loss of coolant. Now, what happens, you have these nuclear uh, rods, these uranium rods, and, uh, of course, uh, they uh, are very hot. And 
so the whole idea of a nuclear power plant is that you have coolant. Now, the rods uh, are kept under control so they don't melt down uh, by the coolant. And the rods uh, are, are so hot that uh, steam is created, which turns a turbine, which uh, puts out electrical power. Now, the, uh, the catch-22 to this whole thing is that it takes power to keep the coolant at the proper levels because if these rods uh, begin to be exposed if the coolant levels uh, aren't able to be maintained uh, by, it takes power to keep uh, the coolant uh, in there and to keep these rods under control, there will be an explosion. Now, what's happened in Japan, there's been two hydrogen explosions because this is a product. These rods are exposed. Now, They lose power. Now you don't have any power to pump the coolant in. What they do is, and that's why you look at the East Coast, uh, they are slammed with nuclear power plants because right now in Japan, we're uh, up north of Tokyo where this event northeast is taking place. They are uh, putting seawater. They're right there on the ocean. They're putting seawater straight into uh, where these uh, power rods are. Now, let me give you the absolute worst scenario. They cannot maintain. Let's say you lose all power. Let's say you start getting far behind. You're dealing with something that uh, has an extremely long half-life. You're dealing with something that uh, is a will kill you by this radiation. And uh, your and radiation isn't just a flash exposure. Uh, it is a cumulative type thing. Now, Power rods, and I'm not going to get away. I'm coming back to Middletown, Pennsylvania at uh, the Three Mile Island accident. But I, but I just I kind of do this by divine inspiration. It pops in my mind. So I need to explain to you uh, one reason that we don't have to worry about a nuclear glowing cloud dropping Uh, radioactive debris over the United States is that these power rods are only enriched to, and see, this is what we were all over Iran about. Oh, they're going to enrich, and, you know, these uh, Iran is saying, we're going to build a nuclear power plant. And we're saying, oh, they're going to enrich them to weapons-grade uranium Well, weapons grade is above 60%. And weapons grade, you get something like what the U.S. has got and uh, Russia and and probably Israel uh, because they got whatever we got, we give them. Uh, You're looking at 95% 
of enrichment. This is weapons grade. Now, the stuff that they're using to produce nuclear power is only enriched up to like four six four two six. That means F O U R, not forty six, because uh, that would be extremely rich. But it is only like four percent enriched, which means that while it is deadly, it is local. And it's very low when compared uh, to weapons-grade uranium, for example. So, the very worst thing that can happen is for there to be no coolant. And these rods are exposed. Now, the rods um, are so hot that they melt, and they are so hot that there's nothing that can actually contain them, and they actually melt right uh, into the earth. Now, question. How do you clean this stuff up? Because now it is exposed, now it is irradiating. Uh, Right now, you see, they have a 20-kilometer area, which, uh, you know, there's five miles for every eight kilometers. So when you look at uh, 20 uh, clicks, uh, then you've got uh, almost, we got about 14 miles. They have cleared an area 14 miles around because they don't know. They are working. They're hollering for help from the United States. How do they, when they have lost power, how do they keep the the coolant, which has got to be pumped in to keep these rods Uh, flooded so that they don't overheat and melt. Because if they melt down, see, that is the definition of a meltdown. If these rods melt down, they go into the earth's crust. And, friend, you tell me how you're going to clean them up. I mean, you heard of Red Adair and how he uh, fights uh, you know, the, the oil wells, and that's, you think, boy, that's a heck of a job. Well, and you look at, uh, at British Petroleum and the big spill that we had out here in the Gulf, and you say, man, that was one heck of a, of a job. Friends, that is kindergarten. That is nothing to something like a nuclear uh power, and there are several of these generating uh, plant areas that are within a single plant. One of these generating areas uh, goes down, and you know, without power, let's say they, and they have like three generating areas, now you have start having explosions, which again put up a very low grade, uh, but what happened is this. 
Uh, and again, if these things come to mind, uh, I'm going to blur them out to you. Uh, we have the USS Ronald Reagan aircraft. we got two aircraft carriers. Well, uh, one is uh, this area, as I've told you, Japan is a real long island nation that runs basically north-south. And so Tokyo's sort of in the middle on the east coast. Now, right above Tokyo, up there, uh, more just a little more than 100 kilometers, you've got this area. Well, the wind is was blowing uh, out toward sea. Well, that is where our ships are. <laughs> and so they found that a helicopter crew uh, was irradiated. This is an American 17-man helicopter unit that was doing rescue work uh they uh it the bird flew through a plume of radiation that was emitted uh, from this one area as a result of the explosion and so the crew comes in they don't know you don't feel anything uh right off the bat but uh of course Radiac machines detect what uh, is the current radiation that uh, is flowing, and dosimeters, they record the cumulative. Because let's say you're around something that is putting out 10 rads. That's the unit of radiation. Now, if you're there... For 10 hours, now it's cumulative. So you have 100 rads. Well, 300 rads kills you. So three days after you've been in this area that seems to be all right, uh, you now have radiation poison to the point that you're dead. Well, they have washed down, uh, scrubbed off, our 17 airmen, but they have moved the U.S. Uh, war vessels away from downwind. It's not good to be downwind. And so, God be praised. Uh, you know, we, we have, I'm one of them, uh, we have many officers that have been through uh, what is called a nuclear, biological, chemical warfare school. And uh, they teach you how uh, to estimate uh, fallout. And a matter of fact, it's classified, but uh, you have templates. Well, I, I'm just I'm glad that our war vessels have moved to be out of downwind fallout. But why were they ever in that area in the first place? You've got... Uh, probably uh, two dozen officers aboard the USS uh, Ronald Reagan that are fully qualified. They should have those uh, templates out. They should have been measuring. They got to have those dosimeters up. They got to have the radiac machines out there. And you tell the captain, sir, we here is the plot. We are in the downwind fallout area. You need to get this vessel out of here now and take all the support vessels, anybody you care about, 
you take them with us and we get out of here. Well, they waited until, of course, uh, the 17 men were decontaminated. Now we've moved. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to take a little bit of a pause. We'll come right back. We'll give you more information about what is going on and what concern you should have here in America. Stay with American Voice Radio's Freedom Call. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at lancet.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t dot com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Boys Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Americans for Immigration Control is a leading national organization dedicated to reasonable levels of legal immigration and effective enforcement to stop illegal immigration. With more than 250,000 members and supporters nationwide, we are an effective voice for immigration reform. AIC stands up in Washington for the views of most Americans on immigration. We are the leaders in stopping recent legislation to reward 10 million or more illegal aliens with legal status and eventual citizenship. The late Georgia Congressman Charlie Norwood had this to say about us. AIC has earned a reputation among members of Congress as one of the most active and responsive advocacy groups in the field of immigration. Join AIC today. For more information, go to our website, immigrationcontrol.com. That's immigrationcontrol.com or call 540-468-2023. That's 540-468-2023. Using your cell
cell phone for business or staying in touch with family, your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. Shove them around, but here these people are 
I mean, reading the Bible, they it they are so vicious. They bust into Lot's house. They demand, we want these. And here was Abraham. Abraham, you know, he's done whipped his uh, his waiting wildcats more than once. Remember, they stole Lot. <laughs> He'd be uh, run these kings down. They all paid him tribute and this kind of I mean, Abraham was nobody to mess with. And so... Uh, uh, it was awful, and then hellfire and brimstone comes. Let me tell you what hellfire and brimstone in the 21st century is. It's a meltdown by, and do you know, remember, read what the Bible says about the the life in the rivers, the life in the sea that uh, is all of a sudden uh, everything is, I mean, it's full of blood and death. Well, how, and you say to yourself, my goodness, how could that happen? Let me tell you, let me tell you what's going on up there in Japan right now. See, this is early stages. Uh, Nothing nuclear just goes away. The half-life, and this is the way that you deal uh, with uh, with nuclear materials. It has a half-life. And the half-life can be as much as 25,000 years. You hear me? That means that it is now half as deadly as it was. Friends, are you understanding the how serious this uh, nuclear business is when we start messing with this, when we're dealing with half-lives that go for hundreds, thousands of years? And that's just a half-life. And you couldn't, and again, remember that uh, nuclear radiation is cumulative. Now, there's two things, if you don't trust anybody, there's two things that you should have. And, you know, my, uh, I tell you, <laughs> I can't uh, hang on to them because they keep getting put in garage sales. It's probably like the nuclear fallout templates on the USS Ronald Reagan. See, since the Cold War is over and now uh, we don't worry much about uh, the Russians uh, dropping nukes on us, what happens to these fallout templates? Well, after a while, the plastic uh, gets hard, starts to crack, turns yellow. You know, I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if aboard the USS Ronald Reagan, which is not that old, that... Uh, they don't even know where the nuclear fallout uh, templates are. I say, what? Jeez, didn't that go out uh, with the, you know, with the Corvette uh, Thunderbird era back in the fifties? Uh, well, let me. Uh, so, whoa, I was going to tell you what you need. You need a radiac machine. Now, I probably got a couple of them around my house here. The radiac machine tells you what is the current activity of any nuclear radiation, like it may be uh, 10 rads. Now, in itself, as I've just mentioned to you, 10 rads is nothing. If you're driving through it, 
the helicopter crew that flew through the plume, let's say they picked up 10 rads. That's, you can wash, you can scrub that stuff off, and they probably, uh, it'll be like John Wayne and the crew that all died of cancer that was up here during the Sedan series. When I say mean up here, I'm talking about Lost Wages. Just up north of Lost Wages is the test range where they did the Sedan series of underground nuclear blasts. And John Wayne was at, uh, in between uh, Lost Wages and, uh, and St. George, Utah. They were doing a movie. And, uh, gosh, the Army uh, miscalculated the wind. So they went ahead, they fired this thing, and whoosh, there goes the fallout cloud heading towards uh, this area where you got people, cattle, sheep, and everything's dead now. Uh, But this shows you the nature of radiation. Ten rads is one thing, but nuclear radiation is cumulative. So, 10 rads, and if you remain in that area, now becomes 20 rads, 30 rads, 40. When it gets up to 300, you are dead person walking. Now, you can get 300 rads by being in a real hot area. And so, let's say our helicopter crew say, wow, we got to go in and rescue these guys. We see that are running around down here right where this last explosion has occurred. Friends, it could be a 300 red area. Those people you see running around are dead people. It may take them a little while to die, and it's a horrible death by radiation. I mean, look at the Japanese after Hiroshima and Nagasaki that were there. And those were air bursts, which were minimum uh, in radiation. What you got now in uh, Japan, these, anything that goes off is on the ground, which means if you watch the, uh, the video recordings of the blast that occurs up there at the Japanese uh, nuclear plant, you can see all this debris goes up, and then you can just see it. It's like tons of earth, uh, only it's all like dirt, not dust, but like dirt. What do you think about that dirt? you think that you're going to glow in the dark? Now, when that dirt uh, hit goes down, see, that is far worse than an explosion in the air where the fireball does not touch the earth. There you don't have the radiation. But you have radiation where you have debris, like dust. So the fireball touches the ground, now it's hot. Well, both at Nagasaki and at Hiroshima, those were air bursts. And what we have uh, in Tokyo right now are surface bursts. There's only one thing worse than that, and that's subsurface bursts. But again, if the stuff melts down, 
because you don't have power to keep uh, the flooding, the coolant, over the power rods, and it melts down. Question, what happens to groundwater? How far, how extensive is this? Uh, when you, again, look at Chernobyl, you see they had to move 300,000 people, and uh, Chernobyl was bad news. That was 1986. Let's jump back up here to uh, Middletown, Pennsylvania. It's March 28th. It's 1979. Loss of coolant. Now, that's what happened. All of a sudden, the engineers uh, there at Three Mile Island, they look and say, whoa, wait a minute, uh, because the coolant on the rods, they're losing it. And now the rods are so hot that no, there is no metal. It just melts. Well, loss of coolant, partial core meltdown. That's what happened. And so uh, it uh, costs an estimated $2.5 billion just to uh, try to clean that place up. And the truth is, if you take a radiac meter, uh, any place like you're still going to find hot zones because of these extreme half-lives. March 9, 1985, Athens, Alabama. Uh, instrumentation system malfunctions during startup, which leads to the suspension of operation at all three Browns Ferry units. Two billion dollars. All right, April 11, 1986. That's uh, wow. See, they're just the same. It was April 26 at Chernobyl, and so at Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, recurring equipment problems. You got an emergency shutdown of Boston's Edison Pilgrim nuclear power plant. Billion dollars. March 31st, 1987, Delta, Pennsylvania. You notice what's happening? These are all on the East Coast. <laughs> that's because that's where they got most of. I mean, America, how many nuclear power plants do we have? 104. Where uh, there's a, a dozen. That, well, there's even less than that. West of the Rocky Mountains, there's only a few. That's why I live over here. <laughs> All right, now, uh, December 19, 1987, Lycoming, New York, malfunctions, Force Niagara, Mohawk Power Corporation to shut down Nine Mile Point. February 20th, 1996, Waterford, Connecticut. Leaky valve forces shutdown of Milestone Nuclear Power Plant. September 2nd, 1996, Crystal Island, Florida. Balance of plant equipment malfunction forces shutdown and extensive repairs of Crystal River. February 16, 2002. Hey, you see all of the incidents we have in America? How many of you are aware? All this stuff. The government doesn't like to report this. This is not good. Anyway, Crystal River, Florida. Uh, okay. Uh, February 16, 2002, Oak Harbor, Ohio. 
severe corrosion. See there, people won't look. Of control rod forces 24-month outage of the Davis-Bessie reactor. February 1st, 2010. How long ago was that? <laughs> Vernon, Vermont, deteriorating underground pipes from the Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant leak radioactive into groundwater supplies. Oh, boy. You guys know about that up there in Vermont? Anyway, uh, it is a catastrophic event. Japan doesn't know, and they won't know. They're estimating $35 billion in damages. Uh, we don't know. And, and again, this nuclear stuff doesn't just go out like a fire. This nuclear stuff keeps cooking and gets worse. And how are you going to stop it? Even if people rush in there and expose themselves to almost instant death, uh, trying to, uh, I mean, what do you do with it? Well, again, Chernobyl, you evacuate 300,000 people and uh, basically half the country. All right. Anyway, the good news is our ships are now alert to stay out of uh, the fallout area. Our 17 U.S. helicopter crewmen, uh, they say, have been hosed down. It takes time, and that's why uh, don't take too many x-rays. That's why they put a, a lead vest on you. That's why the operator uh, gets behind a lead shield, because this radiation is cumulative. And so you say, well, that radiation machine only puts out, you know, uh, just a little tiny bit. Uh-huh. Every day. And it never goes away. It's like if you get too much sun. It's same kind of basically, same kind of, you start, it's cumulative. That radiation that you receive from being overexposed to the sun or these damn tanning machines, that is cumulative, friends. And so as I was telling you, a radiac, like I got a couple of them around here, I'll probably, after the program's over, I'll see if I can throw batteries in one of them, see if there's any uh, radiation. It would only tell me what is the rate of active radiation. The dosimeter is that little badge or a little pencil in the military. We had little pencils, a uh, pencil-like device, and it measures cumulative. How much radiation have you absorbed? That's Muy importante. Okay, but if this were weapons grade, then yes, I'd all be screaming to uh, do a lot of things, but this is not weapons grade, uh, and so this is like 4% enriched, and in all honesty, uh, they have evacuated about 100,000 people now from around uh, that area, I don't know if all of Japan is going to move to Okinawa or not. 
but uh, the rods may melt into the earth. Friends, you've got yourself Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me give you some uh, news about what is going to actually uh, happen. Japan is the second largest holder of United States debt. So now Japan says they got $35 billion, and this they don't really know what they got right now. But let's say they start uh, selling off some of that U.S. debt or demanding that the U.S. they cash in. See, these are treasury bonds. So they so Japan uh, buys them up, gives the money to these non-federal, non-reserve banks. This whole Federal Reserve system, uh, we're a dead nation walking, as far as economic, and this might be the the match that lights the fuse. China is the number one holder of debt. There's nothing major going on. China's got so many people in it. One billion three hundred million people. That, uh, but Japan, you see, much smaller. They're the second largest debt holder, which means America, uh, the American dollar, can shrink because of Japan. If they start turning in uh, these Treasury certificates, uh, this is not good. Now, uh, Japan is also what? Easy, the fourth largest trading partner. Look at all the Japanese cars that everybody in the White House is driving. These cars, it means that the prices, because right now, friends, they don't have power. Even in Tokyo, which wasn't touched by the tsunami or the earthquake, basically, they are shutting off power because they have lost what they were depending upon, nuclear power. Now they're back down to other alternatives. And so it means that the Japs are going to start uh, pulling back on production, which means the prices go up. Our Dow is down. I don't know how much right now, but the Dow was down uh, like 70 points uh, when I started the program. All right, let's shift here in the last couple of minutes, Gaddafi. you got to watch out for this bird. Gaddafi is retaking Libya. Now, right now as we speak, Hillary Clinton is uh, dining with members of the G8 in Paris, France. Now, who are the G8? They are the most industrialized nations of the world. Who does that mean? It means Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. That's the G8. Then they also have some EU. See, a lot of these guys, you know, like France, Germany, they're all part of EU anyway, but they got some EU guys in there. They're all meeting to try to decide whether or not they want to have a no-fly zone in Libya because Gaddafi is winning back his country using his air force to blast the protesters and the anti-Gaddafiites uh, so that his military can go in and wipe them up. 
So if we have a no-fly zone, this is like Daddy Bush you know, did uh, there in uh, before Junior Bush went in and, and uh, occupied and uh, defeated Iraq, the no-fly zone. We don't want to be part of any of this. We have right now enough going on, do we not? And that's all we do is encourage communist North Korea. We we tickle the Chinese because they see America stretched out further and further. And here we are, fooling around. Uh, and then because uh, Hillary seems to be think she's president, uh, she's speaking as if she makes the decisions. But uh, a lot of uh, France is for the no-fly zone. The uh, the Arab nations have already approved a no-fly zone. It is who does it? Oh, the United States does it. That's who. And uh, so they're. I mean, has NATO, the North, uh, you know, does NATO have any a business flying into Libya into a no-fly zone? Helping uh, the guerrillas against the Gaddafi? I don't think so. So it may end up, you know, again here in the United States. And a lot of it depends on uh, on Miss Hillary. Be interesting. Keep an eye on her. She's having dinner with these guys right now. Tomorrow she goes to Egypt, and she's going to see how the Mubarak uh, thing is working out. And see, Egypt has a large air force. Would Egypt please fly down? Hell, they shoot themselves down trying to get back into Egypt, if it's anything like with the Israeli war. That's tomorrow. She's going to Egypt. Then she goes to Tunisia on Wednesday. The reason is because this thing started in Tunisia, so she's kind of working backwards, and it worked its way over. What started? All this protesting and overthrowing of governments. Tell you what we get if we lose people, even though he is a scoundrel, but people like Gaddafi, what you're going to get is more Islamic fundamentalism. We don't want that. All right, guys, it is Monday, and so uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow, God willing. Stay tuned, please, to American Voice Radio. These are men, America's best. One hundred men. We'll test today, but only three when the green berets train to live off nature's land, trained in combat hand to hand, men who fight by night and day. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. To the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Today is, well, I don't know. Is today Pi Day? You know, 3.1416? You know, or is it Einstein's birthday? Or is, do I just call it uh, uh, March 14th? 2016. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little confused on that subject, so I'll throw them all out there for you. 
Anyway, it is the 3 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. If you're listening some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to adjust your clocks accordingly. This is a live call-in show. Calling in is not necessary. Thinking, however, is, of course, we do give that exemption to members of Media Matters and the Southern Poverty Law Center, as well as those government agents that are paid to listen to this show. After all, if we required them to think, that would create a hostile work environment, and I'm not going to be responsible for that. But if you'd like to call in, it's real simple. You just dial 1-800-932-1980 or 1-800-932-1980, depending on which way you want to hear it. Or you may send an instant message via Yahoo Instant Messenger ID KC7AQK directly to me. And that, well, that comes obviously directly to me as a Yahoo Instant Message. As is our want, we like to open this show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy quote. The constitutions of most of our states assert that all power is inherent in the people, that they may exercise it by themselves in all cases to which they think themselves competent, as in electing their functionaries, executives, and legislative, and deciding by a jury of themselves in all judiciary cases in which any fact is involved, or they may act by representatives, freely and equally chosen, that it is their right and duty at all times to be armed, that they are entitled to freedom of person, freedom of religion, freedom of property, and freedom of the press. End quote. Hmm. Looking over today's subject matter of some of the things that I'm going to be discussing, Thomas Jefferson's letter to Major John Cartwright from Monticello on June 15, 1824, long after Thomas Jefferson had retired as being president of this country, seems rather apropos. And I think you will find it that way also after we get to it, which we will do right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit into any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. Okay, 
I realized I need to say an apology. Sorry, Frank, I didn't use my normal language there of saying you know, we have 21, 20 pages in our show newsletter, your calls and instant messages and whatever else happens to come across the transom right after this little disclaimer. So I'm sorry, I didn't use that normal language, and I realized, oh, crap, I, I didn't say the things that I normally say. Okay, anyway, I digress. I'm, I'm kind of in a giddy mood today, and I'll explain a little while later. Actually, I'll explain uh, probably just about the time it's time for links of interest and things of why I'm in such a, a giddy mood today. But in the meantime, remember, my job is very simple. It is to comfort the, dis- to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. I have to be careful saying that because it's easy to do it backwards, and I don't want to do it backwards. After all, my friends... I'm no longer interested in awakening the masses. After all, the masses have made it clear they're not interested. I am here to connect with like minds and awaken those that want to learn. And since you're here, unless you're one of those, you know, members of Media Matters, the Southern Poverty Law Center, or government agents that are paid to listen to this show, um, you're here because you want to be here. And so that's why I appeal to you. So, on that note, let's get started. Um, I have been waiting for this, and now that it's actually finally come out, it's kind of anticlimactic because it's everything that I said it would say. Slain protester Lavoy Finnegan's autopsy report is released, and it's worse than you think. The shooting death of Robert Lavoie Finnegan is looking less and less like a textbook use of deadly force and more and more like an execution. As Politistic has previously reported, Finnegan and other protesters were stopped en route to a town hall meeting to discuss the federal occupation of lands in western states. After articulating to law enforcement agents that he intended to proceed in order to speak with the sheriff, Finnegan continued on and eventually encountered a roadblock. While attempting to go around it, Finnegan hit a snowbank and frustrated emerged from the vehicle with his hands up, repeating his assertion that the militant force should shoot him or otherwise let him proceed to the sheriff. Now, my friends, as a side note, there's been inside footage from two different cell phones that record that the shooting actually started before he even got out, that he was getting out to say, hey, if you're going to shoot someone, shoot me, you know, not the women and children that were inside, okay, right? But I digress. Where was I? The Oregon State police officers shot him dead. Six shots were fired and three hit Finnegan. While in his vehicle, the FBI fired two shots at Finnegan but failed to report their use of deadly force for over a month. It took, again, like I said, those two cell phones inside being released their video um, to get the FBI to finally confess up that they fired twice before he even got out. Now, of course, the FBI's involvement is under investigation, but the question is, who's doing the investigation, and what are they going to find? Just like 
the Waco murderers or the um, murders of um, uh, Randy Weaver's uh, kid and wife, you know, got off. There was no real investigation there. So, uh, you know, saying the FBI is involved is now under investigation. That's like, yeah, really? By who? Well, both the FBI and Oregon officials are maintaining, claiming that the shooting was, quote, justified and necessary, end quote, as Finnegan was in possession of a 9mm firearm in his coat. A 9mm firearm that no one at the place that they were occupying ever saw before. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. But there's even more details. I'll get to them. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Agents maintain that Finnegan reached for this supposed weapon. However, aerial footage of the encounter does not clearly suggest that he did. Neither does the footage taken from inside the vehicle. On Tuesday, video taken from inside Finnegan's truck by passenger was released. It shows how an agitated Finnegan was arguing with officials before the deadly encounter. We have an instant message. Let's see what we got here. It says here, and don't forget, our freak governor Kate Brown's involvement. Yes, I, I'm I'm get I'm getting to that. I'm not gonna forget about that. Oh am I not gonna forget about that. Anyway, where was I? Um uh okay. The the authorities released the autopsy report of Finnicum, and here we go, which affirms what the aerial footage appeared to show. Finnicum was shot in the back multiple times. The autopsy report can be seen at the link that I have here in the, the, in the show newsletter, and it indicates that Finnegan was shot in the shoulder with an entrance through the back, then out through the chest, with an entrance through the back and through the abdomen, and with an entrance, another entrance through the back. You know, unbelievably, Though the wounds were fatal and Lavoy Finnegan died at the scene, authorities handcuffed his arms behind his back on the dead body before bringing his body to the morgue. It's purely undeniable that Finnegan in his last moments remained defiant regarding the authority of the militarized presence to accost the armed protesters who had demonstrated nothing but peaceful resistance to the federal occupation of Western lands. However, does his distaste for federal tyranny, constitutional violations, and extreme military uh, militancy, police militancy, warrant a death sentence? No. Now I'm going to get to the part that I was saving for the very last. Our lovely governor, Kate Brown, is essentially, for all intents and purposes, the one who ordered a death warrant against Finnegan and anyone else who dared defy the state police and the FBI, as that's what Finnegan evidently did and she evidently was in contact with the quote-unquote commander at the scene, and when she heard how he de- de- denied the first roadblock and continued driving, she said, shoot him dead. And they did. 
Yeah. Okay. Other news. In case you hadn't noticed, we're in a political season year, year here now. And this is not the first, and it will not be the last time, that I try to do my best to persuade you to a liberty point of view, if you're one of those that isn't inclined that direction. And for those of you that are already inclined that direction, well, this is just more uh, information for you to use to help convince those of your friends, relatives, coworkers, etc., to a liberty point of view also. GOP's third party option. Well, you know how the GOP, the, the, the rhinos out there, are having a meltdown over Trump. Well, guess what, GOP? I got news for you. The Libertarian Party is an anti-Trump party. Yep. So all, all these revolting, how revolting do many Democrat, Republicans, excuse me, find the prospect of having Donald Trump as their nominee and that three in 10 say, claim that they would not vote for him in November? And some are now speaking openly about leaving the GOP for a third party? An exodus like that could wreck the GOP, but it might be wrecked already. And at least those leaning could look themselves in the mirror rather than supporting, say, a horrified Chris Christie who appeared behind Trump on Super Tuesday resembling Oedipus at the moment he realized what he had done. Oedipus. There we go. Oedipus. Boy, I was wondering why I was having such a hard time saying that name. Oedipus Rex, you know, at the moment he realized what he had done. But Question, but what sort of party would appeal to the GOP's anti-Trump forces? The answer seems obvious. A party that embodies the opposite of Trump. On the issues, that would mean in no particular order. A party that does not merely welcome immigration, but celebrates it. Immigration. Not illegals, okay? A party that treats individuals as individuals, not as indistinguishable subunits of larger racial, ethic, or other cohorts. You know, Jews, Muslims, the Mexicans, etc. And it looks like we've got another instant message. Let's see what we got here. Um, okay, hang on. I'm getting to that. I'm not even going to say what, what was said here. I'm getting that. I'll only say that. And the person who wrote that instant message knows I'm, now I'm talking to them. I'm going to get to that. But not right now. A little later in the show. I am going to get to that, though. So, anyway, back to these parties. What this party was, should look like. Um, and anyway, where was I? Uh, a party that treats in... Yeah, there we go. I was already read that. A party that is therefore not fine with either bigotry or affirmative action as Trump is, a party that, unlike Trump, so consistently supports the First Amendment and the Second, a party that would never endorse a record-shattering 
$5.7 trillion, that's trillion with a T, tax hike, which Trump not only has endorsed but proposed, a party that, unlike Trump, doesn't think that it's a good idea to go around killing the family members of suspected terrorists or torturing people either, a party that believes in free trade, not 45% tariffs on countries that supply goods American consumers want, a party that steadfastly opposes forcing people to buy things they don't want, such as health insurance, per, per se. A party that finds eminent domain abhorrent, not a wonderful club to bash little old ladies with, like Trump does. A party that, unlike Trump, supports equal rights. A party that, unlike Trump, opposed government bailouts for the auto companies and Wall Street. And handouts to nonprofit groups such as Planned Parenthood also. Well, <clears throat> while everything that I just read off there may not be appealing to everyone, just think about that. It just went down a long rundown of things that Trump is very much in favor of. So if you found any of these things, you go, oh, I don't like that, I don't like that. Well, that's what. But I, And then you go on the next thing and say, but I like Trump. Well, then you're saying you like these things because that's what Trump likes. I'm just exposing him for what he is. Remember, remember, my friends, I'm nobody special. Really, seriously, I'm nobody special. I'm just this guy that, you know, I see the tall grass waving. And I, I get curious. I go, what's that over there? And I go and I look in and you know what I see? I see behind the curtain. You know, this guy pulling levers. Meanwhile, there's this big booming voice behind me going, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, seriously, friends, it would take a lot of work to launch a third party like that, especially in time for the November election. Fortunately, for disaffected Republicans, they don't have to. There already is one. It's the Libertarian Party. Now, granted... Libertarians and conservatives disagree as often as they agree. Unlike the GOP, which takes a uniformly interventionist position on foreign policy, the Libertarian Party is decidedly non-interventionist, but not isolationist, which implies pulling up a drawbridge and severing even peaceful ties with other countries. The Libertarian Party also prefers to treat terrorist attacks as matters for law enforcement rather than military intervention. And libertarians are highly skeptical of domestic law enforcement as well, unlike conservatives who tend to side with police in debates over unreasonable searches, excessive force, and so on. They're very strong defenders of privacy, Hence, hostile to domestic surveillance and enthusiastic about innovations such as Bitcoin and encryption that make government tracking harder. And libertarians generally think that since you own yourself, you can do whatever you want with your body. And that includes such unseemly things as prostitution, drug use, and sex acts that are, shall we say, non-elucidian, okay? I'll just leave it at that. And not too many of the GOP's so-called family values crowd will find much appeal in that. However, 
on abortion, for those of you that are interested, the Libertarian Party says people can have a good faith view on all sides, but the government should butt out. In one realm, however, economics. Libertarians and Republicans both agree and disagree. The former Libertarians are fiercely laissez-faire, to the point of opposing even minimum wage laws. So if Mr. Smith is willing to take a job at two bucks an hour, they say, libertarians, why should anybody else try to stop him? But unlike a lot of pro-business Republicans, libertarians fiercely oppose any kind of corporate welfare. And some find right-to-work laws, which are an article of Republican faith, and a front to free market economics because they infringe on the liberty of contract. On the other hand, you won't find any more fervent supporters of free enterprise and entrepreneurship than within libertarian ranks. As a group, libertarians are less religious than the public as a whole, that is 39% of them percent profess no faith as compared to 15% of the general public. But if the libertarian movement had a patron saint, it might be the small businessman or woman starting a new company, perhaps a marijuana dispensary against the headwinds of government red tape. The Libertarian Party's 2012 nominee and 2016 candidate, Gary Johnson, who was twice elected governor of New Mexico as a Republican before he, too, jumped ship, was in Richmond over this past weekend and asked about the fit between the GOP and the LP. He said that Donald Trump, quote, is no small government conservative. And as that reality sets in more and more, the Republicans should and hopefully will take a serious look at the Libertarian candidate in November. In New Mexico, he said, I proved to be frankly a skeptical Republican and skeptical of the Republican establishment. There we go. Sorry, I misspoke that. That he proved to be frankly skeptical of the Republican establishment that governing with libertarian principle not only works, but appeals to a broad swath of the electorate. He then said at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, he said, quote, I was definitely re- received more enthusiastically and by more warmly than in years past. I don't think it was a coincidence that this year CPAC invited a libertarian candidate to speak on the main stage, end quote. And yes, my friends, in case you didn't know, that is a big daggum deal. CPAC normally does not invite libertarians to speak on their main stage in prime time. It just doesn't happen. This year it did. Now, thanks to libertarians' views on sex and drugs, the libertarian movement has a reputation as supposedly rather hippy-dippy. The enthusiasm among some libertarians for Ayn Rand or Austrian economics or uh, abstruse philosophical hair-splitting reinforces that oddball impression. And in the U.S., third parties inhabit a fringe almost by definition. So, understandably, 
many Republicans might think libertarians are, well, <clears throat> kind of weird. Then again, of those two parties, only one of them is about to nominate Donald Trump. Hmm. Hmm. Just food for thought for you, my friends. Now, I promise I am going to get to the issue that was brought up to me via instant message. And I'll do so after the upcoming break. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. And welcome back to the Constitution of Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor, and I guess I deserve that little... Uh, that little slip uh, or that little um, uh, uh, disclaimer in there in the middle. That's all right. That's okay. I realize, and I've said it before, I intentionally will say things to be provocative because by being provocative, by getting you to think, you know, it, it challenges maybe, and maybe challenges in a good way, maybe challenges in a way that gets your tummy out all upset. But it, the whole thing is it does challenge you to think about things because that's what I want you to do. I never claim ever to be 100% right. In fact, there have been many times I've come on this show to go, okay, I said this and well, I was wrong and here's how I was wrong. So, Anyway, um, but before I get on to my next item about libertarians, something totally off the wall here. You're going to love this, my friends. For all those people that you hear, you hear those talking heads on TV, you hear them in the political class about, oh, we just can't cut anything for that budget. We just, it's just, we just can't cut it because it's so important. So important. Well, <clears throat> here's something. The feds have paid, paid, as in past tense, my friends, paid $709,000 to an academic. Just one who studies how glaciers, glaciers, my friends, blocks of ice flowing down the side of a mountain, glaciers, this academic is paid $709,000 to study how glaciers are sexist. Let that sink in for a second. Glaciers. Sexist. Yes, I kid you not. This is straight up on the high-grade BS. It reeks. Someone just wanted to get paid, and this sort of fluff is used to be reserved only for the soft sciences, but no longer. Yeah, 
You, you know, you get what you pay for. So here we go. The Daily Caller reported it this way. Quote, <clears throat> Merging feminist post-colonial science studies and feminist political ecology, the feminist glaciology framework generates robust analysis of gender power and epistemologies in dynamic social ecological systems, thereby leading to more just and equitable science and human ice interactions, end quote. Well, that's the paper abstract, and the research was published in the quote-unquote peer-reviewed journal, Progress in Human Growth, this past January. Yeah. We can't cut the budget. We just don't have any room to cut the budget. Yeah, seven hundred nine grand. The study that gobbledygook that I read. You. Anyone out there? <clears throat> anyone out there who understood what that meant? I defy you to call in and explain it. Go ahead. The number's one eight hundred nine three two nineteen eighty. Go ahead. Call in and explain what that's supposed to mean. I dare you. There. Now, <clears throat> on the subject of continuing to get you to think, guess what? For all those people, and here's the message. The message was sent to me. Oh, yeah, vote for libertarian will put Hillary in office. It will split the vote, essentially, is what the message said. Okay? Well, I have some rather uncomfortable news for some people who like to talk about the Libertarian Party splitting the vote. In fact, the Libertarian moment, well, it's now over. It is so over. And why? Libertarians are now the single largest voting bloc in the United States, according to Gallup. Yep, yep. With the rise of Der Trumpter and the ascendance of Teddy Cruz to... <clears throat> hard to say these two words side by side, serious candidacy, the libertarian moment is deader than Nancy Reagan's dream of a drug-free America, right? Mm, well, no. In fact, as Cato's David Boaz has pointed out recently, the libertarian electorate is on the rise, and according to Gallup's annual governance survey from last fall, Gallup uses... Two questions to separate respondents into one of four categories, conservative, liberal, libertarian, and populist. The two questions are, number one, some people think the government is trying to do too many things that should be left to individuals and businesses. Others think that government should, be, should do more to solve our country's problems. Which comes closer to your own view? Question number two. Some people think the government should promote traditional values in our society. Others think the government should not favor any particular set of values. Which comes closer to your own view? Gallup finds that libertarian voters, those who think the government is doing too much and should not 
favor any particular set of values. Account for, are you ready for this? 27% of respondents, followed by conservatives at 26%, then liberals at 23 and populists round out the remaining 15. Now, here's where I'm going to break from this article and make my statement. The problem is this. The populists, that 15%, almost 100% will bind to the liberals, the 23%. Now, in my math book, uh, that makes 38%, which out trumps, sorry, I'm not trying to make a pun on a certain candidate's name, out trumps both the libertarian and so-called conservatives. So the conservatives will come and claim and say, oh, you're voting libertarian. That's just giving it away to the Democrats. No, no, it's not. What it is is what it is, and that is what I've been saying for many decades now, both on these airwaves and in uh, speeches in front of such groups as the Conservative Party of Oregon, um, which is Oregon's uh, version of CPAC back east, um, and other institutions I have been saying for a very long time. No, it doesn't split and give it to the Democrats. If your party candidate was so weak, so abhorrent, so hold-your-nose stink kind of candidate that someone just can't live by themselves and vote that way, or is so repugnant that, like, Eight million of your members sat out the last vote instead of voting for Mitt Romney. Hello, eight million is what three times what Obama won by. Hello, you know, if that's the case, don't come crying and saying the libertarians split the vote and then we didn't get enough votes. Oh, yeah, really? Okay, so. What this talks about, and Boaz notes, that 27% is the highest percentage recorded for libertarian sensibilities. In 2000, for example, the figure was just 18%. So if libertarian sentiments are on the rise, then why are characters such as Trump, Cruz, and even Bernie Sanders doing so well? Boas runs through various reasons, many of which involve the simple fact that neither the Republican nor Democrat Party does a decent job of representing libertarian values. If you take the two questions above, equally serious, for instance, you couldn't in good conscience vote for any of the candidates running for president. And so we find ourselves in a situation where across many policy questions that define libertarianism, increasing immigration, say, or legalizing pot and so-called gay marriage, deregulating businesses, and liberalizing gun laws, well, the country is becoming more and more libertarian even as the major political parties get more and more reactionary in their views. 
And as the Republican Party begins its great implosion, thank you for that at least, Donald Trump, the question in front of us isn't why hasn't the GOP ever been as libertarian as its rhetoric. After all, 40 years ago, for God's sake, Ronald Reagan famously told Reason Magazine, quote, I believe the very heart and soul of conservatism is libertarianism, end quote. No, it's whether the Republican Party will reconstitute itself along libertarian lines. In other words, remember what Ronald Reagan said. If the party elders are serious, serious, really serious about taking the party into the future or even dragging it into the near present, they should be breaking toward what Reason founded in 1968 was calling the free minds and free markets paradigm back when Reagan was still in his first term as governor of California. Now, I received another instant message that talked about saying, hang on, I've got to scroll up to it. Da, 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 da. Okay, okay. About the Libertarian Party. Pro-unrestricted baby killers. No, that's not what libertarians stand for. They say it should be a state's rights issue. If you believe that the federal government should come in at the point of a gun and tell you that you must have Planned Parenthood and other such things in your state, then, well, go ahead. That's the Republican Party for you because that's what you've got with the Republican Party. Pro, and the next point, pro-free trade that already destroyed the middle class. Well, what about free trade that allows the middle class to thrive and survive? You know, just there's, there's you know, a good and bad points to everything is what I'm trying to say. Total open borders, not total open borders, just total open legal borders. That is, they, they are open to people that want to legally move from one place to another and not shackling them saying that you can't leave as well as come in as long as you follow the law. In other words, the Libertarian Party takes very much seriously the laws that Mexico has in regards to its immigration, and I've read those to you in the past, my friends, and shown you what they are, and especially when Mexico tries to claim that we have racist immigration laws. I say, great, let's just, let's just imitate Mexico's laws, and they don't like it when you do that. They really do not like that. And, um, uh, and, and uh, well, it's a fail, and it's by Trump. Yes, yes. And, but the thing is, I never claim Libertarian Party was perfect. I never claim Republican Party is perfect, and I certainly did not claim the Democrat Party is perfect. Okay? So <laughs> I just want to make that clear. What I'm trying to do is get you to think, and I hope I'm doing that. I really do. Okay, next. Um, <clears throat> the Pentagon's secret foreign aid budget. Did you know that the Pentagon had a secret foreign aid budget? Well, they do. The U.S. has been sending billions to foreign militaries each year. And what do we have to show for it? Um, it, it, it this opens with a meme from Ron Paul, 
you remember Ron Paul, the libertarian that was in Congress, Ron Paul, who said foreign aid is taking money from poor people in a rich country and giving it to rich people in a poor country. Well, you know, it's only tax money, you know, your tax money, but hey, you know, we've got to buy off some despot in, you know, Nowhereistan, and it probably doesn't like Americans very much, even though we keep filling up his bank account. Well, Politico reports it this way. Quote, Since 9-11, these programs have surged in both size and number, according to the RAND Corporation, which has nothing to do with Paul, you know, you know Paul uh, Rand, okay, you know, uh, Ron, Ron Paul, excuse me, getting my names all mixed up here, I apologize. The Pentagon now has at least 70, seven, seven, zero, 70 different authorities under which it provides BCPC to confront myriad challenges around the world, including insurgency in the Philippines, gang violence in El Salvador, terrorism in the Niger Delta, Chinese dominance in the South, sea, South China Sea, and drug trafficking in Tajikistan. In total, the DOD has spent at least $122 billion a year arming and training foreign partners over the past years. And then we wonder why they hate us so much, my friends, when that sort of crap is going on. Yeah. Okay, more political news. Bill Clinton breaks Massachusetts law. <gasps> Who would have thunk Bill Clinton breaking the law? Oh, no, it isn't true. Really? Well, <coughs> He's been caught breaking Massachusetts law, and now over 60,000 people are calling for his arrest. Yep, they're calling for the former president, Bill Clinton, to be arrested and prosecuted for violating elections law. What did he do? He entered multiple polling stations in the Massachusetts area on Super Tuesday. A petition has been set up at Change.org. You remember Change.org? Yeah. That wonderful thing that B.O. set up and said, if you vote on these things, we will take action. Uh-huh. Hang on. I've got my tongue stuck in my cheek. Hang oh, oh, man, it really hurts when that gets stuck like that. Anyway, yeah, B.O. said, you know, he set up change.org and is calling for, quote, the immediate arrest of President Bill Clinton for a clear, knowing, and egregious violations of the campaign laws to swing an election in a significant way, end quote. According to Massachusetts law, quote, within 150 feet of a polling place, no person shall solicit votes for or against or otherwise promote or oppose any person or political party or position on a ballot question to be voted on at the current election, end quote. Additionally, campaign operatives are prohibited from distributing, quote, campaign material intended to influence the vote of a voter in the ongoing election, end quote, within that 150 feet of a polling location, that is. According to an interview in the New York Times, 
Secretary Bill Galvin said, quote, we had to remind some of our poll workers that even a president can't go inside and work a polling place, end quote. Galvin said he can go in, but he can't approach voters. Then he added that poll workers in New Bedford, Clinton's next stop, have been reminded of the rules. Quote, we just took the extra precaution of telling them because this is not a usual occurrence. You usually don't get a president doing this, end quote. WVBC reported that Brian McNiff, a spokesman for Galvin, quote, clarified that Clinton broke no laws during his visits to the interior polling places because he was not handing out any flyers or voting materials for Hillary Clinton, end quote. However, it seems that Clinton was doing a whole lot more than what the law allows for. It appears that he acted in direct violation of the law. Clinton took at least one photo with a voter, kissed an elderly woman on the head, well, there you go, and signed another voter's Hillary sign. The Globe even reported that Clinton told a voter to, quote, pull the lever for Hillary. Bingo, right there. That's far over the line of what the law allows, yet Clinton did it. Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, who was with Clinton as he was committing his crimes, had his office issue a statement. Oh, let's read the statement. Are you ready for this? Quote, President Clinton joined Mayor Walsh to thank poll workers in West Roxbury this morning. They were not campaigning inside the polling location, end quote. Oh, well, that makes me feel so much better. Uh, Yeah, uh uh-huh. Well, although the spokesman for Bill Clinton denies that he was ever inside a polling place, photos and videos show him clearly greeting and taking up election workers inside, talking up election workers inside. And this is what the the petition at change.org says. And then it continues saying, after being told to refrain from this activity, which is a third-degree voter violation felony, for which Clinton indeed must have known the law and chose to violate it, Bill Clinton does not vote in Massachusetts and would have no other business in a polling station on Election Day besides campaigning for his wife, end quote. You know, even Bernie, you know, Bernard Sanders, have raised questions about the illegal actions of the Clinton campaign. Yep, yep, even he has. The petition is calling on Massachusetts Attorney General Maru Healy to, quote, honor the Democrat process with all the dignity it deserves and hold Bill Clinton accountable for the felony of his actions, end quote. In at least one useless petition to WhiteHouse.gov, petitioners are calling on the White House to investigate this criminal action. Fat chance, right? However... That petition at change.org, at least, is addressing the law and calling on the proper authority to deal with it. We'll see. We'll see. Don't hold your breath on it, okay? That's all I'm saying. Don't hold your breath. We got enough time to get into the next one. Maybe not through it, but the next one. So, for all those out there who think the Obama economy It's thriving. It's robust. Yeah? Well, not so fast, lefties. 
the meme that's going out there reads like this. 242,000 jobs created in February. 72 months of uninterrupted job gains. The longest streak in American history. Unemployment cut in half from Bush recession. From 10% to just 4.9%. Near full employment. And we did it all while facing extreme obstruction from Republicans. Share if you're proud you voted for President Obama. And it shows uh, Michael, you know, uh, B.O.'s uh, husband, straightening out his tux tie while B.O. has this smirky look on his face. Well, this meme, and, uh, and of course this meme was created by Occupy Democrats, and it shows everything that's wrong with the economically illiterate left. Not only do they not understand how the unemployment numbers work, but they don't even bother to see what's actually behind the numbers to boast about how great they are. The United States currently has 94 million people out of the workforce. That's the highest number in history. And no, they all are not retirees. These are people who have given up working. These people aren't actually counted in the unemployment numbers as unemployed because they're no longer receiving unemployment. They simply poof, disappear from the numbers as though they no longer exist, which makes the unemployment number go down. The other thing that the left doesn't bother to look at are the types of jobs that the private sector is currently creating. Are these high-paying middle-class jobs or are they low-paying jobs? The answer is in the data, but that's something the left never bothers with. The majority of jobs being created under the failed Obama economy are low-paying, service-oriented jobs. You know, the type of jobs the left wants people to earn 15 bucks an hour for? We've already reported on this issue. I have many times. The mainstream media's spin on last week's job report is again hiding the real bad news, while the Bureau of Labor Statistics is reporting that 242,000 jobs were added in February. The most important number is that 82% of those jobs were minimum wage jobs. Earnings were a disaster. Zero Hedge points it out this way. February suffered the biggest ever monthly drop in average weekly earnings. There. That's it. The biggest monthly drop in weekly earnings. You got it right there. There's more to this story, but if I get into it, I'll, I'll run over. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I can get two or three part-time jobs to really boost the employment rate. Yeah, and, and believe it or not, trust me, they will count that as if you were two or three people getting jobs. <laughs> We've already shown that to happen. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. If you're here to feel good about government, if you believe that people in office actually care about your well-being, if you believe that statutes and codes are God's gift to man, this show is not for you. If you believe NBC, CNN, Faux News, and the like actually report real news, this show is not for you. This... is the proper place where those beliefs need disposal of. So if you decide to stick around, this show will not be responsible for your mental instability. If you're brave enough to call in, this is your warning. You best bring facts to the discussion. In the toilet. 
Hey, I got a flush twice. Bernie just entered the room. No, just kidding. Uh, welcome. This is the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler. It is still Pi Day. Wait a second. I got to go through all the things here. It's Pi Day. You know, 3.14, right? It's Einstein's birthday. Okay, we got that out of the way. Or it's March 14th, for those of you that aren't of the geeky, nerdy type like I am slightly. So anyway, um, and it's the 4 o'clock hour here on the left coast. If you're just joining us, uh, I am your host, Emroy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor, and still all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Why? Well, because I deliberately... Deliberately, my friends, this is a political and satire show. I deliberately employ elements of politics and satire and combine them together in a way to, well, just like that little disclaimer talked about, to try and make people sometimes uncomfortable. Because if you're uncomfortable, it gets you to start thinking. And trust me. The uncomfortableness on occasion even extends to my lovely partner who sometimes says, i got to go in the other room. This is just getting too heavy for me, which is just fine. It's fine. I'm not trying to raise a ruckus. I'm only trying to get people to think, and sometimes it just gets to be too uncomfortable, and I understand that. That's the whole thing. But if I achieve my goal which is getting you to think, well, then it's worth it. Because if you're thinking, then that means change is happening, and that's good. Speaking of change, I left off in the middle of the last uh, hour, at the the bottom of the, or at the top of the hour there, um, I left off talking about this wonderful thing on the Obama economy and how it's <clears throat> thriving, right? Uh-huh. Well, I left I started and left out saying that 82% of these 242,000 jobs that the B Bureau of Labor Statistics claim were added in February, 82% of them are minimum wage jobs and zero hedge points it out this way. February suffered the biggest ever drop in average weekly earnings because not only did hourly earnings drop, but so did hours worked, resulting in far lower overall wages. Not only has poverty reached a 50-year high under Obama, but history will refer to him as the food staff president because almost 47 million Americans are receiving food stamps under his reign. Not exactly records to be proud of. And Republicans had nothing to do with that. Well, that's what this article says. I'm going to disagree, my friends. Republicans had everything to do with it, my friends. Why would I say that? Simple. United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 7, G. What does it say in there about who holds the power of the purse, my friends? The Republicans who are in control of the House could have at any time done something that has not been done in ages. Prepare a budget. 
vote on it and pass it. And there is nothing that Obama can do to veto it. Why? Because a budget is not a law. The president can only veto a law, a proposed law that the, that the Congress votes on. Even the Senate can't interfere with it. The, our founding fathers were very wise putting the exclusive power of the purse into the hands of the House of Representatives. Of course, they also told us that no representative shall represent more than 350,000 people, which means that, uh, or is it, wait, 350 or 30, am I adding an extra zero in there? Is it 35,000 or 350,000? Uh, I, 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 I have to check on that. I don't have time to check on it right now. But <clears throat> in other words, the end result, my friends, is that if our House of Representatives was constitutionally organized, the House of Representatives, if they wanted to all meet together in one place, would have to rent a Super Bowl-sized stadium just for the representatives to meet. That's not including staff and, and uh, other such amenities. But just for them all to sit in one place at one time, that's how many we would have. Now think about that, my friends. Some people think of that and they go, oh my God, they'd never get anything done. Bingo! That's the whole purpose of having so few people that they have to represent because now those very few people are going to have a huge impact on how that representative thinks be, instead of the huge money interest buying them off. Think about that. The millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions that companies, corporations, special interest groups, etc., foreign countries, blah, blah, blah. You go down the list. I don't need to name off the list. They start spending on politicians. If now they're spreading it instead of over 400 some odd people, they're spending it over 14,000 some odd people. Wow. All of a sudden, the, um, the amount of money that, that each one would get drops rather dramatically, doesn't it? Hmm. Doesn't it? Think about it. And that means less influence, doesn't it? So with this thing saying Republicans had nothing to do with it, see, even I call BS on things that I'm reporting to you, my friends. They had a lot to do with it. They enabled it. The failed Obama economy is all, no, it's not all thanks to the Democrats, but they did reject any job, potential job-creating bills under Harry Reid's rule. This is true, and, and have done nothing but praise job-killing regulations and higher taxes that hurt businesses across this country. That is true, but the Republicans enabled them. So, Democrats, they do own this pathetic recovery, but the Republicans enabled them. So, you see, I'm going to beat up on both of them exactly where they need to be spanked, my friends, and spanked hard. Okay, I'm not going to do this article, but I'm going to tell you about it. There is this video. I've been talking a lot 
my friends because it's a privacy issue. Not a, I'm not an Apple fan. I've never owned an Apple product in my life. I don't intend on owning any the rest of my life. At least at this point, I don't. Who knows what they might come out with in the future. But at this point, I have no desire to own any Apple product. So when I keep talking about the privacy issue, about the iPhone that the FBI wants them to backdoor, meaning backdoor all cell phones, whether iPhone or not, um, it's a privacy issue I'm talking about. Well, there's this supposed video out there that shows an iPhone. Actually, I've seen the video, my friends. And, and it shows this iPhone supposedly being unlocked in 45 seconds. Well, it turns out that the whole thing is a spoof. And if you follow the directions given in it, you've just given over all your contact info to the person that you end up emailing as part of this supposed way of unlocking the phone. So I'm including here in the show notes one of the articles that shows this 45-second video, along with another one talking about how that 45-second video is a hoax and why while also reinforcing the point that there are several people out there, including Mr. McAfee and the people of Silent Circle, that's the people that make the black phone, that have offered to, at no charge to the FBI, in case you haven't heard me tell this to you before, at no charge to the FBI, they'll unlock the phone. They just won't tell the FBI how they did it. And that's what the FBI wants Apple to do. They want it to unlock and tell them how they did it so they can do it to every other phone out there. Okay. Now, I close this show a certain way. And there's a reason why I close this show a certain way. And if you're not familiar with how I close this show, well, then you need to stick around to the end of the show and listen to how I close this show. And now it's happening Again, radio talk show hosts arrested on conspiracy charges for publicly criticizing the U.S. government. Dateline, Portland, Oregon. A federal motion in the case of podcaster, blogger, and activist Peter Santilli demonstrates that the government is prepared to treat independent media outlets as criminal enterprises if their coverage of controversial events makes federal officials look bad. Santilli was arrested in January on charges of conspiracy to impede federal officers. Santilli operates a small online media network was a prominent participant in the April 2014 standoff between Cliven Bundy and the Bureau of Land Management in Bunkerville, Nevada. He is an unabashed advocacy journalist who often plays a direct role in the events about which he reports. In the motions denying or seeking to deny Santilli pre-release, U.S. Attorney Billy J. Williams characterizes him, quote, as Bundy's shill and chief propagandist, using his knowledge of blogging to encourage, counsel, and incite others to travel to Nevada with guns to confront the BLM with violence, end quote. It is indisputable 
that Santilli urged activists to converge in Nevada, but he insists that the object was to prevent violence rather than commit it. In numerous broadcasts and interviews cited within the federal motion, Santilli expressed concern about federal overkill of the variety previously seen at Waco and Ruby Ridge and called for armed citizens to gather as witnesses and a, quote, defensive force, end quote, if abusive conduct occurred. After the event, he expressed the opinion to Internet reporter Adam Kokesh that, quote, both sides were guilty in that confrontation, end quote, and later stated that, quote, Bundy Ranch should never have been an armed rebellion, end quote. Those remarks may be considered irresponsible, equivocal, or even to some irrational. Are they evidence of a federal crime or a form of journalism protected by the First Amendment? Question mark. Quote, the United States Supreme Court has long held that the First Amendment's protection of the press extends Beyond recognized mainstream media, end quote, points out Greg Leslie, legal defense director of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, continuing, quote, there are some references to the fact that he's calling people to come join them, the Bundy family and their supporters. But even that's not necessarily illegal. It kind of throws his objectivity into question, certainly but I don't think he's claiming to be objective, end quote. My friends, I, your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, do not claim in any way, shape, or form to be objective. Absolutely not. I am highly biased. I am highly active, not objective. I do it deliberately, as I have already done today and will do a few more times before this is out, unless they come busting down my door. In fact, I'm looking out the window to make sure no armed uh, vehicles are rolling up outside. No, I don't see any. So at least for the next few seconds, I'm safe. But I am not objective. I never claim to be objective. And you don't have to be objective to report on things. Heck, Sam Adams was not objective. (laughs) Thomas Jefferson was not objective. (laughs) Very much the opposite of objective, okay? So saying that you have to be objective to report on things, that's, well, that's the government's view. Well, you can't be a reporter unless you're objective. I call bovine scat on that. Civil Liberties attorney John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute describes the charges against Santilli as nothing less than an effort, quote, to intimidate members of the press who portray the government in a less than favorable light, end quote. And then uh, goes on to say, by singling out this new media journalist out for arrest and prosecution, I say persecution, the government through its actions presents a grave danger to the First Amendment's protection of freedom of speech and the press, wrote Whitehead. Uh, Wait, that's a different guy, isn't it? Oh, no, it's the same guy, Whitehead. Okay, wrote Whitehead 
in a February 2nd letter to Santilli's attorney, Thomas K. Kahn. Whitehead contends that the FBI's criminal complaint focuses entirely on his behavior as, quote, a reporter of information and not as an accomplice to any criminal activity, end quote. Again, my friends, I had people, I had dozens of people read the 28-page indictment against me. You know what the universal reaction was after reading it? It was real simple. Roy, what did you do? And I said, exactly, that's the point. The very fact that you have to ask what I did after reading 28 pages of bullcrap shows you very much that, well, the whole indictment was bullcrap. I didn't do anything. Yet you have to do something to be charged with something. And that's the whole point. I didn't do anything. So, furthermore, Santilli is neither the first, hello, <laughs> neither the first, nor the only reporter, hello, targeted for this kind of treatment. Whitehead points out that several journalists covering the August 2014 upheaval in Ferguson, Missouri, were arrested without cause and charged with, quote, interference or obstruction, end quote. This was a, quote, concerted top-down effort to restrict the fundamentalist First Amendment rights of the public and the press, he contended. Similar abuses occurred in Baltimore during riots in the spring of 2015, during which, quote, journalists were subjected to arrests and assaults as they attempted to cover the uprising, end quote. The government's own allegation demonstrate that Santilli was acting as a source of news and information for the public, Mr. Whitehead said. The government's decision to charge and arrest Santilli, Whitehead continued, illustrates that it has seized upon a tactic employed by other law enforcement entities of arresting journalists to prevent the public from knowing about civil unrest and the conditions that spawn that unrest, end quote. The feds and their allies are using other means to restrict access to non-state-centered media outlets. On March 8th, for example, when the FBI, Oregon State Police, and Deschutes County Sheriff's Office held a press conference to announce their findings regarding the police shooting of Bundy Associate Lavoy Finnegan, quote, the Sheriff's Office didn't publicly announce the time or exact location of the news conference and asked reporters to send an email to reserve a place, end quote. This was reported by the Oregonian. That arrangement allowed the pre-vetting of journalists allowed to participate and permitted the FBI to winnow out any potential troublesome, i.e. people that would actually ask questions, troublesome independent reporters. Arguably, the most ominous element of the motion to deny Santilli pre-trial release is the repeated insistence that his impotent anti-government views make him, are you ready for this? They make him a, I've heard this said about me myself, okay, personally, right? So this does not surprise me. Make him a, quote, danger to the community. That's their words, not mine. 
and I've heard them said about me too, by publicly criticizing the actions of what he believes to be a rogue federal agencies and officials, quote, Santilli continues to commit crimes using his blog and is a current threat to law enforcement officers, the motion said. It also said Santilli's rhetoric and his conduct relating to these charges make clear that he has not changed his mind about the BLM or the federal government, end quote. My friends, I am reminded of a time when I did a habeas corpus movement for a gentleman who was locked up in this state's mental hospital. Why? Because he had a, quote, irrational fear of government, end quote. So because he had this irrational fear of government, the judge ordered him arrested in the courtroom on the spot and hauled off to the state mental hospital for a forced psychiatric and needle therapy. I'll let you figure out what that's supposed to mean. Needle therapy until he could, quote, overcome his irrational fear of government. Jeez Louise, my friends. If that isn't the heavy hand of an Orwellian 1984 government, I don't know what is. Yeah. One example of a threat cited in the document is that Santilli's description of a U.S. attorney as a, quote, a, a quote, effing treasonous bastard working for an enemy, which is the United States, and his statement that if you were unconstitutional, we we're going to squeeze your, well, <clears throat> uh, nether regions. We will make every step null and void in the United States. The U.S. Constitution is non-negotiable, end quote. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was just sent an instant message saying that so were all the signers of the Declaration of Independence must have all been mentally ill also. Exactly. 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 That's the whole thing. So, is he vulgar? Is he intemperate? Is he ill-considered? Well, those, those may be, you know, those statements that he said that I just quoted, as they may be, those statements, well, in and of themselves, they do not constitute a, quote, true threat, end quote, under existing legal standards. They are, however, squarely in the tradition of patriotic hyperbole that began with Samuel Adams, another figure who blended direct activism, much of it un illegal under British law at the time, and media agitation. This implied comparison would trouble at least some of Santilli's former colleagues, who contend that he has long been a covert asset of the FBI and can make a compelling case for that proposition. It isn't necessary to see Peter Santilli as the heir to Samuel Adams or to sympathize with the cause to which he has attached himself in order to take issue with the government's effort to imprison him for anti-government media agitation, as if some erstwhile allies assert. Santilli has been employed by the feds as a, as a counterplot, 
Cointerfleur-style infiltrator. The government's willingness to use him as that role and then burn him offers an additional cause for alarm. You know, if he has been, you know, mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, dang. Now that I went way too long there. Okay. Uh, see, I told you so. Lynch indicates that the DOJ is not required to charge Clinton, that is Hillary, even if the FBI recommends it. The Washington Examiner put it this way. Lynch was asked in a hearing by Senator John Cornyn, Republican Texas, what her department would do if the FBI were to recommend that step. Set. And then she said, Quote, if the FBI were to make a referral to the Department of Justice to pursue a case by the way of indictment and to convene a grand jury for that purpose, the Department of Justice is not required by law to do so, are they? Are you? Croynan asked. Well, Lynch didn't answer directly, but seemed to indicate the department has some wiggle room and can consult with officials before deciding what to do or what not to do. Yeah. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Six one nine four eight eight six. 
Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, I'm Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still a pain in the rear end. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Very funny, Frank. There we go. Uh, still all around pain in the rear end, the bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Okay. One more see I told you so. I told you these things are going to be happening and and that we'd be seeing it more and more. FBI to high schools, tell us who your anti-government students are. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I don't have time. But there's this new FBI initiative. I'm going to give you the thumbnail account here. New FBI initiative that's based on Britain's anti-terror, quote-unquote, mass surveillance program that instructs high schools across America to inform on students who express anti-government and anarchist political beliefs, calling these things extremist and violent uh, things. That if you get that, my friends, you express anti-government or anarchist, anarchist political beliefs, all of a sudden you are a violent extremist, according to the FBI. This document, which I don't have time to read any more of than what I just have, claims public school educators, quote, are in a unique position to affect change, impart affirmative messaging, or facilitate intervention activities, end quote, including informing on students. It calls for, quote, observing and assessing concerning behaviors and communications, end quote, of students, quote, embracing extremist ideologies, end quote. Extremist in whose view? Exactly. Exactly. Yes, you, over there. Yeah, not your head. Exactly. That's right. You got it. Okay. Links of interest, my friends. Links of interest. Let's get my pointer there in the right place here. Links of interest. Six. Yes, it's a list. But you will understand when I say it's too long to present as part of the regular show. Sixty-seven reasons not to vote for Ted Cruz for president or vice president. 
67 reasons. That's all. Number five, I told you this was coming. I told you. Mitt Romney files FEC paperwork to run in the 2016 election. I told you it was coming. I knew it was coming. Oh, boy. And if he does, that really would be the implosion of the Republican Party. It really would be. Number four, an open letter to Apple President Tim Cook on how the Republicans aren't your friend either. You know, maybe a Democrat party that's persecuting him now, but the Republicans aren't his friend either, okay? Number three, I have a question for you. New York City school kids are now pledging allegiance to the international flag. Is this pledge of the international flag coming to a schoolroom near you? Hmm? Do you still have children or nieces and nephews that are in the public fool cistern? Hmm? And if so, why are they there? Hmm. Do you know what's happening to them there? Hmm. Number two. Turkeys, as in the the country, not the animal, Turkey's first lady has come out and declared that harems were schools that prepared women for life. And yes, she was serious, my friends. And finally, number one, more evidence of what the Black Lives Matter group is not about. Yep, the Black Lives Matter protesters stomping on old glory in jubilation that they, along with a whole lot of other people, shut down Trump in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Critical thinking segment, my friends. There's this lady by the name of Jan Morgan who's come out and said very, very publicly, She said, Ted Cruz blaming Trump for the violent actions of protesters because his speech is provocative is like blaming a rape victim for the violent actions of her rapist because her dress is provocative. The last time I checked, she carries on, censoring speech, justifying violence over offensive speech, and covering women in burqas are elements of Sharia law, not constitutional law, end quote. Well, my friends, if you don't know who Jan Morgan is, then you don't understand why this is so huge. Jan Morgan was one of, was one of Ted Cruz's top advocates. She has since rescinded her endorsement of Cruz because of his despicable, politically motivated backing of the Chicago protesters. Ted Cruz has made a big mistake siding with Bernie Sanders, George Soros, terrorist Bill Ayers, and Black Lives Matters just to try to score some political points against Donald Trump. Not that I'm advocating. I'm not advocating Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form. I'm merely reporting what the heck is going on here, my friends, and trying to get you to think. 
And that's what the whole purpose of the critical thinking segment is all about. Okay, it is now time for us to turn off the instant messaging, turn off the phones, and and subject ourselves, yes, and I do mean it that way, subject ourselves to one particular item and spend some time on it, and we call it the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare. That's L-A-W, for Learn and Win Through a Better Education. And today's headline Voting third party isn't just a serious choice, it's the serious choice. After all, how bad can major party candidates get? Well, you know what we're finding out now, but you know, we can do better. Now, here's a constitutionally based reasons why we can. This year, At this moment, at least, the likely presidential candidates of the major political parties, or as I love to call them, the bifurcated or the bipartisan party, because it's not parties, it is just one party that acts like they're two different parties, are two of the less savory individuals to ever run for office in a country whose Wikipedia entry doesn't even feature periods of military rule. The Republicans seem poised to give us a crony capitalist who admires authoritarian foreign governments, views constitutional safeguards with contempt, and encourages his followers to stomp opponents. Sounds a little like the Nazi brown shirts, doesn't it? The Democrats are ready to coronate an authoritarian former Secretary of State who fairly reeks of influence peddling and is the subject of an FBI probe into the mishandling of classified information that passed through a private email server she set up to avoid freedom of information inquiries. Yet, Americans are urged to pick between these two candidates as the only, quote, serious options, end quote, for occupying the White House. We're told by frantic partisans that voting for a presidential candidate running on another political party's line or as an independent is really a vote for whichever of the two leading candidates the speaker finds more terrifying. That's a particular concern for Republicans this year. Why? Because Donald Trump has not only tenuous connections to their party and its supposed ideals, but also an antagonistic relationship with the norms of a functioning liberal democracy. Democrats, too, are urged to rally around Hitlery, despite widespread perceptions that she can't be trusted to, time, to tell the time of day unless a few minutes are kicked back, let alone break a 20 without pocketing a couple of bucks. Yes, it's true that neither Trump nor Clinton have technically locked up their nominations. Either or both could lose the prize to a rival, but 
Clinton's only remaining opponent is Bernie Sanders, you know, a lifelong socialist and supposed independent who entered the Democrat race as a matter of convenience. Sanders doesn't seem aware that his frequently touted socialist model, Denmark, is actually a welfare state, sustained barely by being grafted onto a market economy ranked comparably with that of the United States in terms of economic freedom, which, by the way, the United States has dropped now, as a matter of point, to number 11. Before B.O. took office, we were number 8 in economic freedom. We've now dropped to number 11. But I digress. Perhaps his cluelessness, that is Bernie's cluelessness, is a saving grace, explaining how he's the closest thing to a civil libertarian, at least as far as foreign non-interventionist items go, and is still aspiring for major party nomination, despite his attaboy fandom for bread lines and press censorship in truly socialist countries. The Republicans, on the other hand, have a far more fundamental problem even if they head off a Trump coronation. The party is ideologically adrift and alienated from its grassroots, making it a natural target for that thuggish demagogue in need of a vehicle. Quote, he's not the cause of the GOP implosion, reasons Nick Gillespie recently noted of Trump, but, quote, the final effect of an intellectual and political hollowing out of any semblance of commitment to limited government, individual rights, and free markets, end quote. Even if the GOP successfully resists the current takeover attempt through a desperate surge for Ted Cruz, or a contested convention that sees the candidacy wrested away from the popular choice by the party elders, wouldn't be the first time, hello. It has thoroughly disappointed its base and held it in roughly the same esteem as a nasty rash by younger Americans. Regaining credibility and scraping the tarnish off that brand is going to be a long-term project, if it's even worth the effort. The Economist wrote, saying, The state of the Republicans is particularly parlous, but the contradictions among Democrats, though less obvious, also run deep. Mm-hmm. Both parties, both parties, my friends, have morphed and transformed before in our country and in others. The Economist goes on to point out that America's two major parties have effectively swapped positions on some important issues over their histories. Parties have also disappeared. The Republican Party famously replaced the Whig Party in the U.S. after the earlier organization failed to come to terms with the slavery issue. In our neighbor to the north, grassroots disappointment with the progressive conservatives who held a majority in Canada's parliament as recently as the early 1990s led to an insurgent party to rise and replace that organization on the center right of the country's politics. 
The new <clears throat> conservative party absorbed its predecessor's shriveled remains and held the prime minister's office from 2006 to 2015. And whether the Republican Party and possibly the Democrat Party here in the U.S. are in the process of transforming or collapsing, looking elsewhere for political options just makes good sense. Well, at least until the wreckage has settled. And it's not as if there are no credible options, even as far up on the ballot as the presidential line. Just in terms of political credentials, yes, and there's plenty more to consider, the major parties have no special advantages. In 2008, when the Democrats successfully ran a first-term senator for the presidency, the Green Party offered Cynthia McKinney, a former six-term member of the House of Representatives, while the Libertarians nominated Bob Barr, a four-term occupant of the same body. In 2012, the Constitution Party ran six-term former U.S. Representative Virgil Good, while the Libertarians nominated Gary Johnson, a former two-term governor of New Mexico. Now, Johnson's likely to represent the Libertarian Party again this year against Clinton, Trump, and other hopefuls, a successful entrepreneur before gaining executive office ex governing experience, Johnson might actually strike a foreign political correspondent unfamiliar with America's aversion to voting for anybody not affiliated with the letters R or D as the most qualified candidate in the race. Seriously. During past election cycles, most Americans accepted that aversion and let themselves be shamed out of voting for a quote-unquote spoiler who could quote-unquote only throw the election, end quote, to a more powerful major party candidate. Hmm. But Democrats and Republicans seem locked in that downward spiral, shedding any pretense of honesty or ideological coherence while taunting voters with the knowledge that they can be induced to vote D or R anyway, even if the parties run, well, they run like a thug against a crook. It's easy to believe that. If the technology allowed, party apparatchiks would set undead Mussolini against zombie Capone just to laugh and laugh and laugh as we argued over their relative merits. But there's no actual obligation to play into that horrible choice. Nope. The major political parties have outlived their sell-by dates and they've grown corrupt, unresponsive, and complacent. They've turned into hollow-out vehicles to be hijacked by populist demagogues when not being ridden in office by sticky-fingered functionaries. The Republicans are in worse shape than the Democrats, but only in relative terms, which is to say, until they reform or die, the major parties are no longer serious choices. Their train wreck presidential nomination races offer clear evidence to anybody who hasn't drunk the major party Kool-Aid that it's time to look elsewhere for real ideas, and credible candidates for political office. My friends, it's time to admit that in 2016, the so-called 
third parties are the serious choices in politics. There you go. Now, I promised those that were listening right at the beginning of the show that I'm in a rather giddy mood today. And there's several reasons for my giddy mood. One of which is a major one is that I got new eyeglasses and I'm seeing a heck of a lot better than I have in a long time. And since I like to pass on things that are good to you listeners so you can enjoy them too, I'm going to let you in on something. I ended up getting two sets of bifocal glasses. One that gives me room range sight through the upper part and reading, as in fine print reading range, through the bottom bifocal, which is what I'm wearing right now. And I'm looking at my computer monitor through the upper part of the lens, and it's very clear and sharp. And then, of course, when I need to read fine print, I just drop my eyes down to the bifocal. And then an outdoor set that's also bifocal, giving me good long-range vision. And then the bifocal is adjusted to, you know, like dashboard uh, length and, and up close and personal talk. 